Welcome to Hoopsville, everybody, on this Thursday evening. It is the 18th of January. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Welcome into the show. It is going to be a good one, and we look forward to interacting with you as well. If you got questions for us, you can tweet us or Instagram us, thread us, whatever you want to do. It's at D3Hoopsville using the hashtag Hoopsville. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're live simulcasting the show, which we are also doing on youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. You can also watch the show in its entirety as it airs, et cetera, et cetera, via our main channel, which, of course, is um, on D3Hoops.com or our Team One Sports app. That information sitting at the bottom of your screen. We certainly hope you'll take advantage of that. Um, and, of course, we're posted on D3Hoops.com, as we always are, and look forward to having you join us there uh, as well. So lots of ways to stay in touch with us. And we look forward to you interacting with us tonight. Got a good show ahead of us this evening. We'll be talking to Case Western Reserve men, along with Hobart men, and the Co. and Mount St. Joseph women's teams. There is some good conversations to be had because we've hit that point in the season where it's a bit of a grind, as they say. Um, teams are, for most teams, they're in the midst of conference play, maybe pivoting in the middle of that to get into their second round of games against a lot of opponents. Some have already gotten to that point. Some are coming up. In the case of the UAA, which we'll talk with, with Case Western Reserve here shortly, um, it's more about just starting that grind in conference play. Uh, everybody's three games in at this point. Of course, with no conference tournament, that's why their schedule is a little bit different. But it's also just the grind of the season. This mid-January time is always an interesting period of time because, listen, you start off the season now a little bit earlier in November, and you kind of play till Thanksgiving. And while you might play over Thanksgiving, that's kind of a good breaking point. Then you kind of play until the, the midterm exam period, and then it slows down a little bit. You've got other things to focus on. Uh, then after that, you may be off until January or some others may play in the holidays, whatever, but it kind of has these starts and stops or, or moments of pause, slowdowns, etc. until about this time of the year. Now everybody, for the most part, has been playing for two and a half, three weeks worth of basketball, and there's no stopping point coming. There's no break coming. There's no break coming for another arguably six weeks. So you're into the grind now, and now you know your opponents well. You're dealing with travel. You're dealing with weather. You're dealing with illness, and it becomes a lot more difficult. So all of our guests tonight are going to talk a lot about that grind, talk about that struggle in conference, keeping things going. A number of our guests actually just lost their most recent game, or they're kind of in a funk, even though they're having tremendously good seasons. And we'll be frank for, uh, with them as well on that. Interesting note, all of our guests have already aired on the show where we recorded the segments earlier today that does not normally happen but due to a bit of the grind to be completely honest and schedules with practices and travel and games along with actually having to fill in a guest uh, to replace another one who was ill to go with the theme uh, we ended up recording everybody uh, ahead of time so while i will be live those segments will not i hope that doesn't take away from your enjoyment of the show uh also because we got so in-depth on these grinds and these conversations, our conversations go a little longer tonight than we normally do. I apologize. I've been doing my best to, to average 15 to 20 minutes. We have failed in the last two shows. I can I can warn you now. There is one interview that gets close to that. There are 
There's one that goes over, and there's two that definitely went over. So uh, they're great conversations. They will not feel as long as they look on a timing sheet. Um, but this is this is that time of year, and this is what we go after, and we enjoy doing it all. Uh, reminder coming up: we are gonna. This is our last um, Thursday evening show for several weeks. The next one will be February fifteenth when we'll do the top sixteens. Uh, we'll be on at 1 p.m. Eastern for the next couple of weeks due to schedule conflicts of my own uh, and work that I need to participate in. So I'm not sure if that's a good thing for some of you. Maybe maybe you enjoy that and you think it's awesome that, um, you know, we're on at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. You get to enjoy that show. And others, maybe we're playing the sad trombone for them. Uh, as a that's a shout out to Pat Coleman. Maybe they're just not in. Maybe you don't like it, and, and then maybe some of you are just like, "What? Whatever, Ben. What? Whatever." Total crickets. So let's talk about what's going on in Division Three. First and foremost, the news is finally official. The NCAC is gaining a new member from the OAC, as Pat Coleman and I reported back. At the beginning of the month, John Carroll is departing for the NCAC, leaving the OAC. For those of you not knowing the nomenclature, that is John Carroll leaving the Ohio Athletic Conference for the North Coast Athletic Conference. That will be in effect for the 25-26 uh, academic year. Um, we have discussed that quite a bit in recent times. We'll probably dive into it more, but it's not that surprising because... Well, I shouldn't say it's not that surprising. The time of year is not that surprising for an announcement like this because of the NCAA convention. There are going to be many who speculate that this is a football move, and they would not be wrong in their thinking. It's just not that cut and dry. It's not a football-only move. Yes, I feel that football is a good impetus. I think that John Carroll believes they're a very good football program who keeps getting stuck behind Mount Union because they can't beat Mount Union most years. And that's a testament to Mount Union, how good they are. And so they're moving to the NCAC. Why the NCAC is willing to maybe bring in a powerhouse football program, that's up to them. But in other sports, it's a different answer. And I think there's also a, the financial climate out there for Division Three institutions. I think some schools got scared off by news from Baldwin-Wallace, for example, that they um, misappropriated isn't the right word. Um, misplaced isn't the right word either. But it had an accounting error that missed, misplaced $20 million. Uh, they don't have it. Now, I'm told that's not going to be a big deal for you to be dubbed, but who knows? But there's going to be other institutions, so maybe there's a, a reason for that. I know the NCAC on their side, as we've talked about on this show, has wanted to grow as a program or as an institution ever since they lost Allegheny to the PAC. So there's moves there. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Maybe there's a school like uh, a Case Western would move to the OAC. I saw a friend of mine post that. I saw another friend um I believe sarcastically say that Mary, maybe Mary Harden Baylor will join the OAC. Um, here's what I know for a fact. Those are all great ideas. Those aren't happening. I have heard of some other news out there or moves out there. I've heard of other conversations taking place. I, none of them is reportable. None of them seems to be that close to getting off of the ground, though I have heard some additions for the NCAC that could be coming down the pike. We'll have to put our ears back to the uh, train tracks to see what's moving. Um, but in the meantime, that news is finally official. John Carroll is going to the NCAC. Admittedly, though, that news coming after the convention, I was told that news was going to happen before the convention. Not sure why the change. Um, 
Great article from Ryan Scott, by the way, if you get a chance in the Around the Nation column this week, getting it done, talking about Isaiah Young. Um, Isaiah Young is a student athlete. I just forgot. He's in the OAC, ironically enough, at Heidelberg. Great article from Ryan Scott. A real YD3 story. You should check that one out when you get the chance. Last night was rivalry night, whether it was intended to be or not by most conferences, but you had Amherst and Williams playing each other. You had uh, Calvin and Hope on the men's side of things taking on one another. Um, Hope made a nice comeback in that game. I thought that game was all Calvin for the most part. Uh, 4,100 plus fans tuned in to watch uh, Calvin lead wide to wire, but Hope made it interesting late. That's a solid win by the fourth ranked uh, Knights of Calvin. Randolph Macon, by the way, won their eighth straight. St. Vincent remains undefeated. Um, and lots of other good news in Division III. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Williams' men lost to Amherst. And, no, did I have that right? No, 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 no. Um, oh, hold on. I just botched that. I, I had it earlier. Um, let me see if I can find it again. I kind of, no, I don't have it. I'll have to look that one up. I, I botched it. I, I believe I have that, that backwards in reality. Um, hold on. I'm literally just calling up yesterday's scores so I can just do it the easy way. I had written it down, but I swapped it because there was an interesting development with uh, Amherst and Williams. Uh, Amherst men defeated Williams. That is right. Okay, I had that right. Amherst men defeated Williams, and Williams's women defeated Amherst in an interesting flip-flop. Um, that's a huge win for the Amherst men. That's a huge win for the Williams women. Uh, I was voting for Williams in my top 25. That's going to reevaluate. 55-41 win by the Amherst men in that game. On the women's side of it, um, Pat Manning's squad is a difficult one, even when they're not playing maybe at the the incredible levels that we are accustomed, but they defeated Amherst 60-52, to 52, 22nd ranked um, Amherst squad, taking the loss to Am Williams. Rivalries are always fun, that's for sure. Uh, just to get it out of the way, because I know it made some of the news, uh, yes, my alma mater, Goucher, took on Catholic in what I have always called a rivalry, even though it hasn't been much of a rivalry in, me in recent years. So a good uh, for the men's side, Justin Klingman was associate head coach at Catholic for the last few years, and now the head coach at Goucher. That game was pretty good until probably about halfway through the second half. Uh, Catholic put it away. They were shooting 60% in that second half alone. Uh, they won, I believe the score was, uh, hold on, 95-53. Weirdly enough, the only reason I bring it up was the women's game playing down in D.C., exact same score. 95-53, Catholic the win. Not great for my Gophers, but hey, both programs are building in the right direction. Catholics on another level, both teams in the national polls. Goucher simply is not there, let's be honest. Um, so there you go. Quick look at things from around that are going on in and around everywhere um, and plenty to talk about in Division Three, as we mentioned about. So um, there's lots of scores. Always go to D3Hoops.com for the latest on that because it'll be worth uh, your time to say the least. Um, we'll keep an eye on other scores and other results out there. I did want to mention uh, something I forgot to mention last show. Congratulations to Brian Morehouse, Hope Women's Basketball Coach. Fastest to 700 victories. I believe he did in 725. Um, he is now the fastest in any division in the NCAA, Division 1, 2, or 3, and either gender to pull that off. Um, that is no small feat, folks, and really impressed with Brian Morehouse was able to do there. Uh, should have mentioned it on the last show. I apologize, did not get it out of our mouths last week. 
or on Monday, and so our, our delay on that. But congratulations to him on that accomplishment. Uh, that is just nothing to shake a stick at. Very impressive resume. Um, and as we mentioned with him on a show, he was on the show back in, what was it, uh, mid-December. That's Hall of Fame-worthy um, material, in my opinion. And it's nice to get Dave Hickson in um, this year's class of Division Three. Uh, honorees, including Yasinov from Emmanuel, are nice, but we got to start making an effort, whoever that needs to be, to nominate some of our best of Division Three, along with Yasinov and and others. The um, there are too many good coaches in Division Three that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame for their resumes and their accomplishments. Brian Morehouse will be one of them, in my opinion. But there are plenty of others like Nancy Fay who deserve to be in the hall as well. And I'd love to see that that happen. Uh, Mike Strong would be another great candidate on the women's side for what he was able to do before Yasinov knocked him off the pedestal of the most wins in Division Three. You also have, um, you know, there, there could be an argument for Glenn Robinson at Franklin and Marshall, Steve Moore from Worcester and many others. So we'll see where it goes, but hats off to Brian Morehouse for his 700th victory. Well, which is now gone higher than that, but congratulations to him on that accomplishment. With that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get things rolling. Case Western Reserve men's basketball coach, Todd McGinnis, joins us to talk about the Spartans, a UAA race. We even dive into the D3Hoops.com Classic a few weeks back. It's a longer conversation than I expected to have with Todd, but it's a great one, really in-depth. And we really dive into how this program has turned around and how they balance their time with graduate students and with normal recruiting. We'll also then be talking to Hobart men's basketball coach, Stefan Thomas, Thomason, sorry, tremendous conversation with the with the uh, Hobart alum. Great to hear his perspective on the statesman. We'll then jump out to Iowa to talk co cohawks women's basketball. Easy for me to say. Another alum in pro in charge of that program, Coach Wasco uh, will, uh, will join us. Appropriate enough, Co. And then we'll go to Mount Saint Joseph. It's been nine years since we had Lauren Hill in the headlines who shined a light on the Lions program on her challenges and eventually her death. We talked to their head coach about how they're keeping that legacy alive, but more importantly, how that program has earned the time in the spotlight for what they've accomplished themselves. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. We will be starting uh, our chats with Todd McGinnis coming up here shortly. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at nabc1927. That's nabc.com or nabc1927 on social media. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. 
Basketball has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this Thursday evening. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. All the information on how to interact with us, including email, hoopsville at d3sports.com. On the bottom of your screen, if you happen to be listening to the podcast, you can find us on social media. Basically, look up D3 Hoopsville on pretty much all social media platforms or use the hashtag Hoopsville. The only exception is Facebook. We just don't include the D3 part. It's just Hoopsville. Even YouTube. YouTube is D3 Hoopsville as well. So look us up. Join us. You also look us up on Hoopsville or on Team One Sports to find the show on Android TV, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and Roku, where we're live simul uh, streaming the show. We're live simulcasting on Facebook and YouTube. In men's basketball, the second-ranked team in the nation is Case Western Reserve. The Spartans are are uh, not 22-4. and four. That, is, that is last season's record. Um, let me try that again. They are 13-1 and one overall, 2-1. and one. On the UAA so far, again, coming off of a 22-4 and campaign last season, defeated NYU and Brandeis last weekend, but their first and only loss is against conference foe Carnegie Mellon um, about oh, a week and a half ago. They're on the road for a good gauntlet ahead, and we talked to Todd McGinnis just a short time ago about what he expects from the team and expects from conference play and so much more. It's on the Hoopsville Hotline. It's a head coach of Case Western Reserve. No truth to the rumor that he's a transfer himself. Todd McGinnis joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Coach, thanks for taking the time. I, you and I saw each other in Vegas. Obviously, this team is off to a tremendous start, building on a couple of years, and we'll dive into it. But you guys aren't building like the traditional ones at this point. While you are, it's kind of confusing. But you got to be happy with how you're doing things. Yeah. Um when you texted me, I was a little apprehensive because uh, in my career, I've been a head coach 14 or 15, whatever it is now. And I'm own six and games after I've been on, on with you. So you didn't need to bring that up. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our SID texted me, John Schwartz. And I was like, Oh God, you're going on Hoopsville again. And I said, well, we haven't won at Emory in 15 years. And so we haven't won after I spoke with Dave. So uh, something's going to break tomorrow. So I mean, I was thinking about having you on last week and you lost. So I guess even the thought of it hurts. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, um, you know, just down here in Atlanta, flew in today. 
that's interesting. The interview just stopped. Not sure what happened there. Uh, we will have to look into that and possibly call up our our file originally, figure out why that just uh, froze up on us. Terribly sorry. Um, we're going to have to pivot. For those who just tuned in, uh, we'll have to run the McGinnis interview a little bit later as we try and work and figure out what happened on that. While we're uh, doing that, I'm actually literally going to call up our editing gear and, and get ready to edit that and, and fix that. I'm not sure why that froze. We did talk to him just a short time ago, and we'll figure out how to do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to literally pivot right away. We'll talk Hobart men's basketball and Stefan Thompson, whose team is having a darn good season themselves this year. They are in the Liberty League race, which I think is probably one of those that is underappreciated for just how good it is right now. St. Lawrence on top at 5-2 and two in conference, playing 9-4 and four overall. Hobart is 5-3 and three along with RPI, and Hobart's 12-3 and three on the season. We talked to Stefan Thompson earlier today about the season that they're having and why he is so excited about this season. That's on the Hoopsville Hotline. It's the head coach of the Hobart Statesman. It is Stefan Thompson. Coach, welcome to the show. Congratulations on what has been a, a pretty good season, and it feels a little bit like you're a little under the radar right now. Other teams are getting a lot of attention. 12-3 and three for you all, not too shabby. It's not a few, It's been a few years since we saw 23-5, and five, but you guys on top of the conference per se and, and, and playing well. Dave, thanks for having myself and our program on such a great platform. And yeah, we got off to a really good start this year. And, you know, we're in the heart of conference play right now, which, you know, every day in the Liberty League, you're tested. So our focus is, you know, keeping our head down, grinding, getting better day by day. As we mentioned in the pre-show, St. Lawrence is technically on top, but everybody's got the same amount of wins between you, RPI, and and Hobart with, with I mean, yourselves, RPI and St. Lawrence, I should say, with five wins. St. Lawrence just played one less conference game, so they're five and two. Uh, you are coming off a tough loss to RPI, and you've lost three of your last five. Sometimes that makes me shy away from talking to a coach because you know they may not want to really discuss their squad. But again, good start to the season, and and this is part of what we want to dive into: the grind of conference play, especially in early to mid January, can be trying. And so I know three of the last five being losses isn't how you want it to be. But at the same time, this is the moment of truth, isn't it? 100%. You know, that's the same message we share with our team. You know, we're very thankful to be uh, 10-0, and 0, uh, wrapping up the 2023 year there. And obviously, when you start the new year, people are going to have a target coming at you. And that's what conference play is about. So, yeah, we've, we've dropped the last couple of games. And we haven't played particularly great. But it is a great opportunity to look in the mirror and, you know, figure out what we need to clean up, what we need to grow into, whether it's on the offense or defense or rotation. So I think our group is resilient. Uh, we talk about that a lot with our guys. So I'm really excited to see where we can take this thing. Uh, you know, most teams would kind of barrel down and, you know, shrink their shoulders. But our body language, you know, we call it SPEM here, which is our spirit, our physical, our emotional, our mental has still been really strong, strong and sharp. So we're not, you know, broken by anything that's come our way. Uh, but we do have to be, you know, smart enough to say, let's look in the mirror. You know, let, let's figure this thing out. And uh, at the end of the day, your conference opponents are going to know you better than anyone. So now it's a matter of uh, really just hitting the, the grind and making sure we're aware of how we need to tackle every game. We'll talk about the now and the recent and the future in a minute, but let's back up the train a little bit, talk about the start. You guys got off to a roaring start. We should point out the three losses in the last five are your only three. You actually started with a stretch of not losing in the 2023 campaign. Uh, this is 2024 has been off to a little different, but you know, wins over St. John Fisher, Morrisville State, Brockport, Rochester. 
Union Vassar RPI the first time. Wells, Immaculata, and St. Scholastica certainly was a great start to the season. You know, Rochester seems to now becoming the team we thought they were. But, you know, Brockport with a new coach, that's still a solid win. Morrisville State looks really good in their part of the NAC. St. John Fisher obviously is always a tough opponent. You had to have been thrilled with the 2023 side of this campaign. 100%. You know, we want to challenge ourselves in our non-conference schedule. Uh, we have a lot of pride as a program that we want to have one of the tougher schedules in our region. And as you mentioned, all of those opponents we faced were good, and they gave us different challenges. You know, you're looking at St. John Fisher, who came off uh, a NCAA tournament bid and a win. So that's a very experienced group with great coaches, great players. So we were really, really fortunate to get that win on the road. And then we come back with our home opener against Morrisville State, who uh, at some points had us on the ropes. You know, I think we were down about 10 points with six minutes to go. And, you know, we found a way to claw ourselves back in and win. Uh, And then you mentioned Brockport, Rochester, again, teams that we annually play. uh, And we were very fortunate to win those games. So you learn a lot early in the year about your group and your team. Uh, The biggest thing is trying to get wins uh, because conference play is going to be a a test on its own. But to know you can handle the other teams in your region and and find ways to creatively, you know, learn about your group is what you got to take advantage of. So we were very, very, very fortunate to get all these wins. Uh, I think it gave some confidence to our group. Uh, but we also know that we continue to improve and get better. Uh, Ten and zero is great, but you know we want to finish the season on a winning streak. You guys also went down to Florida, got a trip out of that, and came out of it with wins, as we mentioned, over Saint Scholastic and Immaculata. So you at least got to see different styles of play than you normally would see, maybe in upstate New York. Then you got into conference play. That takes us to the more recent now, the three of the last five, and you kind of got bopped right out of the gate coming into the twenty twenty four side. Was it that everyone kind of knew what to expect? Is it conference play? Was it that the team just maybe rested on its laurels? What can you attribute to where where the struggles are currently? I think it's a combination of all of it, right? You know, our our group had an extended break. Finals were right around that December 14th. Our guys didn't go home until the 20th after our game versus Wells. And we had a quick break. You know, they're at home for maybe five days before we head back to Florida. So we took care of business in Florida and we came back here with very minimal energy on campus, uh, very cold up here in upstate New York. So I think we did, you know, mentally take our foot off the gas a little bit. And, you know, you can't do that. When you're a college athlete, you got to always be performing to your peak and and understanding that you're going to get your best punch from someone, right? So I give credit to RIT and Ithaca. You know, they were very prepared. Uh, I thought we still had a shot to win the RIT game. You know, we missed probably four of our last field goal attempts there that could have put us up. So, you know, that's back in the past already. Uh, and then we, we let that carry over to a Saturday game on the road at Ithaca, and they came out and didn't miss. <laughs> uh, they shot one of their highest field goal percentages of the year, made the most threes. So that's going to happen from time to time. Uh, again, like to your point earlier about the grind of the season, what I'm gauging is not only the wins and the losses, but how do we respond? You know, we could have won those games and still not gotten better. So at this point of the year, we want to really understand, hey, this team's good. This team's good. Everyone's going to test you a different way. Uh, And I think this weekend's a good sign of that. You know, St. Lawrence, right, is, you know, leading the country in field goal percentage defense. Uh, Coach Downs has done a great job with this 2-3 zone. And then Saturday, we hit the road and we go to Clarkson. (laughs) And they play a completely contrasting style. So for our group to really compartmentalize Friday to Saturday, Friday to Saturday over the course of these next couple weeks is ultimately going to determine our destiny. Um, And I think these last couple weeks have proven that, hey, you got to take each game game by game. You're also in the midst now of a three-game road stretch and five of of, – Um, seven games are on the road. So this is kind of a tough stretch 
in terms of also having to deal with travel and mother nature and all that. You'll be rewarded, obviously, for it. After the Clarkson game, you'll play four straight at home and six of the final eight at home as well. So there's a little bit of the mentality there of, of being adaptable, adjusting to whatever it has to be, being on a bus for long periods of time as well. As you pointed out earlier, you're, you're going to be heading into the long trips here uh, with Mother Nature being a factor, which it always is in Western and upstate New York. So, you know, there's there's a lot going on. 100%. And you either can, you know, dive in the weeds, all that stuff, or can control what you can control, which is your preparation. Uh, and we want to be process driven, right? And then outcomes take care of themselves. So whether it's sunny up there, up in the North Country, which I don't expect it to be in 60 degrees, it's probably going to be frigid cold and, and multiple uh, inches of snow. We got to ignore that. And, you know, the, the rim's 10 feet tall. It's the same way it's in our gym. So, Control the things you can control. Um, that's what we've been harping on with our guys these last couple of weeks. And it's great that we have just an awesome coaching staff that's aligned, that has a, a great amount of experience. You know, Coach Pisnick on our staff has been coaching here since 1987. So he's got a lot of, uh, you know, references in terms of other teams that have been through stretches like this. And we also have a great group of, of captains and, and upperclassmen who uh, have been battle tested throughout their career. So if there's any group that can handle the, the elements that you just discussed that could be thrown our way, whether it's a bus trip or, or weather, uh, it's this group. And as a head coach, that makes me ultra proud uh, just knowing that we have the right guys on the bus. Speaking of those upperclassmen, you take a look at the roster. You've got three seniors and five, no, four juniors whole mess of sophomores and a handful of freshmen and it is that junior class that is so far leading the way you've got three of the four and double figures are juniors and Aiden Rogers and Carter Mechanic uh, and Pete Healy Alex uh Mosh uh, saying his name right I hope Alex Mash and Pete Mash. Uh, uh, Pat. but he's a, he's the freshman and and he's in double figures as well just to rattle off by the way 14 1 13 5 13 3 2 12 1 uh, respectfully for those gentlemen so you're getting the upperclassmen but you're also showing signs that that underclassmen group that that younger group is, is really creating their own on this team as well yeah it's a good balance uh credit to our upperclassmen for creating a culture and an environment that's welcoming to our young guys uh giving them a space and uh, where they first can be themselves off the floor and that obviously bleeds onto the court with their confidence. Um, you know, all of our first years, all of our sophomores bring different talents to the table and they complement our group. Uh, we've gotten, you know, highlights from different guys at different points of the season. You know, Gabe Bergeron had a great game on the road at Rochester. I thought that was the difference for us winning, right? Um, we have uh, Alex has been consistently in our rotation and scoring the ball really well. Uh, you know, very, very good efficiency on the offensive end in terms of his field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage. You know, I think he's one of the better shooters in the country. So to have that as a resource as a first year is great. Um, but at the end of the day, our, our upperclassmen have welcomed those guys and, and don't feel intimidated to say, hey, he's stepping on my toes or he's taking my minutes. It's all about what's going to happen to help Hobart win. Um, and not every program is designed that way and has that culture. So, you know, we feel very fortunate and blessed. And as you mentioned, our junior class, those guys have played a lot of basketball throughout their career. You know, Pat Healy, Aiden Rogers, Hunter Mechanic, Carter Mechanic. So for them to have those experiences to lean into has been great just because they can trickle that down to the rest of our roster. Um, and in our senior class, as you mentioned, a very unique setup. They didn't have a freshman year uh, just because of the whole circumstances. So now they get an opportunity to really showcase what they can do. Uh, all three of our seniors are captains, uh, and, and they're really elevating our program, whether it shows up in the stat sheet or not. They, they're doing a great job of making sure we can perform at our, our highest frequency. 
it's interesting. I don't normally dive into the game highs section of a of a of a season stat sheet for anything more than just you know interest. But this one jumped out at me. You know, Pat Healy third on the team in scoring, but he jumps out as a as a game high in a lot of categories. Most points in a game this season is his. He's tied for the field most field goal attempts. He's tied for the three pointers made. He's got the lead in the most attempts. Uh, free throws made. He's got free throw attempts. He's made. Then the Shannon. Uh, is in there for rebounds and some others. But it's interesting. He's getting all those points. Third on the team, though, in average, it shows that these other guys are getting it done. They're just Maybe the spotlight isn't always on them. Yeah, I think it also speaks to the sacrifice of Pat Healy, right? Uh, he's very in tune to what's going on game by game. You know, I think he comes up to me in the middle of the game, coach, I can guard that guy. Let me let me lock him up. Or coach, I think I can get downhill and, and set other guys up or rebounding. Um, and obviously he's shooting the ball really good from the free throw line. So at the end of the game, you know, he's a guy that's out there on the floor. But I think at the end of it, it speaks to his character, his sacrifice. Um, and we, we talk about it a lot, but I think great teams are malleable. You use the word adjustable earlier. We say malleable. You got to be able to bend and mold depending on the pressure of the situation. So Pat's one of our best guys when it comes to that. And um, yes, he's led us in a lot of different categories, but I think, you know, we still got a lot of games left, right? You know, we've played almost half of our season. So I think other guys will step up and, and really showcase what they can do as well. One of the other reasons I wanted to talk to you guys or anybody in the Liberty is when you dive into the Liberty Conference, it's a bit of a quagmire. It is it is insane when you dive in and realize how many teams are within striking distance already at at the top of this conference. You got St. Lawrence, as we mentioned, at five and two. Hobart, yourselves, and Clarkson, uh, along with Ithaca and Rochester, all with three losses. Um, Clarkson, Ithaca, and Rochester Tech have four wins. Vassar's at four and four. Everybody other than Vassar has got an above five hundred record. You're twelve and three. Clarkson's ten and four. St. Lawrence nine and four etc bard union and skidmore maybe don't have stellar numbers but they're within three games at the top of the conference and several of them several of them have had pretty good seasons in the past and and even won this conference this feels like a race that almost could go any direction and that the next week or two may dictate really where this conference ends up yeah, you're spot on with that. Um, and I think the you look at the schedule of the Liberty League, right? You know, we kind of mirror ourselves after the Ivies where you play back-to-back Friday, Saturday. So the team that can compartmentalize or turn the page as quick as possible, whether you win Friday or lose, is usually the one that's going to have an advantage on that Saturday game. But I think that's why you see so much parity. Uh, you, you look at the scores on the bus Friday night, you're like, oh, they lost or they won. And then Saturday, the, the, the script flips. So I think it's a credit to the coaches in our league. I think we have a very, very high level of coaching. Uh, I think our talent in our league is really good. Uh, all of the guys in our league, when you look at them, you can tell they're coachable, they accept game plans, and they're able to apply them. So I think that's what you're seeing. Um, you know, the next two weeks, three weeks are obviously going to be important, but you got to be able to win when it's playoff time. You know, you look at the the guys that have won the league the last couple of years, they didn't win the regular season conference either. So you, you got to get hot that last week or two of the season and kind of really be humming um, at that point. And to your, what you talked about, anyone can do it. So what we got to do is focus on ourselves and, and try to compartmentalize what Hobart can do to be that team that's the last one standing and cut down those nets. Do you talk about what other teams are going through or experiencing as a way of keeping your guys focus on the task and the reason I bring that up Bard getting a lot of attention mid to late December because they had had one loss on the season they were rolling along at uh eight and one 
It seemed like they had turned the corner with the program. Unfortunately, they've lost six straight, five in conference, which certainly changes the perspective, but also shows how quickly things can change and go in the other direction. You guys in the midst of losing three out of five, is that a conversation going, listen, guys, we want to stay focused on what's happening. Look at Bard or what they're going through, or look at this other team, or look at this other, or is it all internal? I would say it's 95% internal. Only time we ever you know, look at those other programs if it's prep for that game. You know, giving a little story, giving a little snapshot uh, of what they're dealing with. Uh, but at the end of the day, our focus is on ourselves. If we can get better, that's what we want to, you know, really hone in on. Because I think at the end of the day, as coaches, we feel like we have enough to win. As players, we feel like we have enough to win. So uh, to your point, yeah, I think it's 95 to a 5% ratio there. If anybody doesn't realize, you're a graduate of Hobart, played and, and graduated in 2013, went on coach. You were at Wilkes prior to picking up this job as a head coach at your alma mater. So you know the rich history this Hobart program has, even coupled with William Smith, in terms of athletics in general, but especially in basketball. Some great teams coming out of Hobart. Is there pressure from yourself or others to return the program to those glory days? On top of the fact, is there talk about having the guys help guide the program to in that direction? Or is it just about the student-athlete experience getting the most out of them, and when you can get back to where you used to be, that's just gravy on top? I think you take each team each year, year by year. At the end of the day, our goals are always to get to the NCAA tournament. I think that's where our program belongs. Uh, It's a very hard task, as we just talked through the last 15 minutes, about getting that accomplished especially when you got delivery league foes that are going to be in your way. But we try to you know, allow each team to create their own legacy and their own uh, path to follow. Understanding there's a, a great legacy that's already been laid prior. And you can reference that, right? I think the one beautiful thing about our program is that our alums are extremely engaged, Dave, like extremely engaged. So you know, our guys are constantly getting text messages. They have mentors that are giving them phone calls. So they know about you know what Hobart has been able to do. But at the end of the day, it's their turn now. Right. They got to be where their feet are, as our old athletic director, Mike Hanna, used to say, and and really to be in the moment and be present. So, you know, as a coaching staff member here and, you know, former player, we don't really harp on the past too, too much. It's it's more about trying to make sure each team understands they have a chance to create their own destiny. Should point out, you were a sociology and anthropology major. I'm going to dive into that in a second. You basically followed Izzy Metz, who was the head coach at Hobart, who went to Wilkes. You were the assistant at Wilkes. I want to clarify what I said earlier before returning to Hobart to be the assistant and became head coach after that. Was coaching in the mix? I'm trying to figure out maybe the sociology, I can see how that can get into coaching. The anthropology, maybe I'm a little lost. Was that the goal or was it a chance with, with Coach Metz, who's still at Wilkes, to kind of get into that realm and it's just stuck? I've always wanted to coach ever since I was fifth, sixth grade. So uh, I think when Coach Metz was recruiting me out of high school over at CBA in Syracuse, you know, he you know, was really big at knowing me since I was 16 years old. So when I joined the program here, knowing he was an alum, I had the vision of coaching um, and was very fortunate to be able to kind of ride his coattails for a little bit initially into coaching. Uh, he comes from the Steve Donahue pedigree and coaching tree, which is amazing. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to play for and learn from Mike Neer, 
uh, and also learn from Tim Sweeney. So I've had a lot of great mentors uh, that have been right by my side the whole time. Now, in terms of the academia, as you mentioned, sociology, you know, it's about culture, right? It's about norms. It's about establishing things. Uh, the anthropology piece is about, you know, understanding the importance of artifacts or time or history. And as a coach, I think you're always trying to paint that picture to maximize the present. Uh, so I look back and one of my joys, you know, being here at Hobart, especially being an alum, is that I get to walk across campus and connect with some of my professors that have given me these gems and these tools and, and now pick their brain a little bit about how I'm utilizing them or how I can alter our culture. So my academics here at Hobart have really laid the foundation for how I like to coach and how I want to coach, but I've also been able to pair that with some extremely great mentors that I still re rely on to this day. I toured Hobart way back in the day when I was looking to go to college. Unfortunately, I was waitlisted by the institution, but I think that had more to do with my alma mater than anything. We used, I think my alma mater at the time used Hobart as a, as a backup school a lot. Um, and that's not a knock on Hobart at all. Love the campus. I uh, will talk, or I'll mention it uh, after this, my, my experience there. But one of the traditions I remembered was if the, if the Finger Lake that it sits on froze completely over, the school had a day off. Now, I could not find that prior to this to see if that tradition is still alive. So I'm curious, is it still alive? No, actually, the, the the interesting fact, I think they might have spooked you there, is that you know Seneca Lake is so big, it can't freeze. Well, that so. was the trick, right? It, it, <laughs> the idea was if it fully froze, everyone yeah. got a day off. And the point was, it doesn't do it day. often. <laughs> We're still waiting on it, right? Uh, Odell's yeah, pond okay. might over, but uh, Seneca Lake, no chance. We do have the polar plunge, though. So, you know, people of our community, whether it's Geneva or the school, they're jumping out there the day after nope. Christmas. It's, it's an ice bath. That's how That's I That's insane. <laughs> you got to keep the that, that lake get cold. Oh yeah, it, but it's it's a part of it. You know, you embrace it. I'm a three one five guy. Grew up in Syracuse, so I've seen snow banks. You know, as high as fifteen feet. So to jump in some cold water, you know, I can embrace that. Listen, I know the three one five area. I've been to many a blizzard in upstate New York in the Utica area myself. I'm still not jumping in a damn lake, Stefan. <laughs> no, maybe you're a little bit smarter than me. That's why you're no, here. <laughs> no, we won't go smarter, but maybe something else. Hey, uh, listen, great chatting with you. Really appreciate the time you gave us to dive in on the Statesman. Um, and some people don't realize coming in last minute as well. Appreciate the time you gave us and giving us an insight on not only your program, but obviously the Liberty League as well. We wish you luck as the road continues and the grind continues. As always, though, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in? I just want to say I'm greatly appreciative of this platform that not only you given myself and our program, but I know you hear it a lot. You know, you're the D3 guy. So to know that a lot of our D3 programs and coaches get a platform to speak and share about their schools and their institutions is great. I think, uh, you know, we have the epitome of the student athlete experience here at this level. So guys like yourself, give us that uh, opportunity to broadcast that. So I can't thank you enough for allowing me to join you tonight. Well, thank you again. I appreciate the kind words. It, it, it's more helpful when you're all willing to come on the show, as I say all the time. So thank you very much. Good luck the rest of the way. Uh, maybe Seneca Lake will freeze. Who knows? There's some cold coming. Uh, we'll in the meantime, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great, Dave. You take care. Stefan Thompson joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Quick story going back to my Hobart visit back in 1990-something. I don't It might have been 93. Um, the tour took about an hour to go all the way around the campus and, and see everything. When we started out, it was a cloudy day. It was with my grandparents. Um, and I went on my own. They stayed back. A normal cloudy winter day like you would normally have. Um, by the time we got about quarter of the way into it, it was snowing lightly. 
Um, some snow had worked its way in. It was nice nice to walk and have some snow flying. Halfway through, whiteout conditions, it seemed. It was snowing very hard. 15 more minutes later, it was back to that light snow. And by the time we were done, the sun was coming out and there were a couple inches on the ground. Um, love that. Uh, I love winter. So that was really fun by me. Yes, uh, I did apply to Hobart. I may have ended up there if I hadn't been waitlisted, but Hartwick wanted me too, and some others ended up taking a gap year instead and ended up at Goucher College. A uh, quick look at the rest of the... Oh, by the way, quick thanks to Stefan Thompson. Uh, great conversation with him um, about the Statesman. Quick look at the Skyline Conference, by the way. Farmingdale State on top of that conference. 15-1 overall, 7-0 in conference play. They are a uh, half-game lead on Yeshiva, who's uh, not playing right now due to their break. I think they might still be over in Israel. They're 9-6 and six overall, 7-1 in conference play. Uh, SUNY Maritimes, 10-6, and 5-2. and two. Rest of the conference kind of pans out. Manhattanville's having a decent year, 10-5, and 3-3 three and three in conference action. But Farmingdale State's the team to watch in there, as Ryan Scott pointed out on Monday's show. The Empire 8, Utica's playing really well, 11-2, 4-0 in conference play for Sean Coffey's squad. St. John Fisher is 10-6, and 6-1 six, six and one in conference action. And Nazareth is 5-1 and one in conference play. Then it's a drop-off between before you get to U- Eureka, Elmira, and Alfred. So it looks like that's going to be a three-horse race in the SUNYAC. Uh, Swigo is pulling away. Uh, they got a big win over SUNY New Paltz, who I thought was going to give them a game. Uh, they won that one over SUNY New Paltz last night. They are now 7-0 in conference play, 13-1 overall. That one loss again coming to Case Western Reserve. They beat uh, New Paltz 92-70. Brockport is behind New Paltz by a game. So it's New Paltz at 4-2, Brockport by 5-3, Plattsburgh at 4-3, Geneseo at 4-4 in conference action. New Paltz at 10-3 overall, Brockport at 9-5, but Oswego is rolling the Suniac at this point. When we come back, we fix the issue we had with the Todd McGinnis interview. So we'll listen to the Case Western Reserve coach when we come back. You're listening to Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com. Back with more after this. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure. The game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA.
Welcome back to Hoops, everybody. Going to keep this rolling a little bit as we're a little bit behind, thanks to the issues we had with the Tom McGinnis interview. If you joined us earlier, we talked about the fact that we talked about a lot with the Case Western Reserve coach, including the challenging UAA schedule and so much more. So we'll jump right back in, start at the beginning for any of you who may have missed it, and we roll along from there. Todd McGinnis talked to us earlier. It's on the Hoopsville Hotline. It's a head coach of Case Western Reserve. No truth to the rumor that he's a transfer himself. Todd McGinnis joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Coach, thanks for taking the time. You and I saw each other in Vegas. Obviously, this team is off to a tremendous start, building on a couple of years, and we'll dive into it. But you guys aren't building like the traditional ones at this point. While you are, it's kind of confusing. But you got to be happy with how you're doing things. Yeah. um, When you texted me, I was a little apprehensive because uh, in my career, I've been a head coach 14 or 15 team, whatever it is now. And I'm own six and games after I've been on, on with you. So you didn't need to bring that up. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our SID texted me, John Schwartz. And was like, Oh God, you're going on Hoopsville again. And I said, well, we haven't won an Emory in 15 years. And so we haven't won after I spoke with Dave. So uh, something's going to break tomorrow. So I, mean, I was thinking about having you on last week and you lost. So I guess even the thought of it hurts. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, um, you know, just down here in Atlanta, flew in today and went to practice. Now um, talking to you before we go out to eat with a couple of our alumni that live in Atlanta. Yeah. I appreciate the time, even though the 0-6 stats kind of hurt a little bit. Um, we're going to have to find you a win here somewhere. I'll call, I'll call Luke. I'll call Luke and just tell him, listen, ro- roll over on Sunday. If you don't mind, Flickertsy. Um Listen again, saw you in Vegas and I knew you guys were good coming in, but you stunned me in Vegas um, the win over Oswego, eighty-seven, seventy-four. I wouldn't. This is no disrespect to the to the Lakers, but it didn't feel that close. And then Clark was a tough team, and you guys handled them as well. You did it in different ways. The season's been full of good, solid wins. That seemed like a really good cherry on things before turning into conference play. Yeah, it was great. You know, um, I don't know. If- People have gone out there. That's my first experience being out in Vegas for the tournament. It was great, um, you know, great publicity with everyone. It's run well. And, you know, it was great, great games. And new going in, you see Oswego and they haven't lost and we're blowing people out. And then you watch Clark on film and you're like, well, they're probably an NCAA tournament team if, you know, if they can get enough wins here. And, you know, so it was going into that. We knew we had to be ready. And, you know, we had going into that game, we had a couple games that, you know, we didn't play extremely well. We were in finals a little bit, and our guys are getting crushed. Actually, a few of them are down in the uh, lobby right now taking a, a physics exam or something, a math exam, something I couldn't pass. So, you know, with the travel, I think it was nice to not have to worry about school a little bit and, um, you know, get out there and perform in front of a national audience. And, you know, our guys were ready to go. You know, it was good to see them be able to turn on another level and, you know, be – laser focus going into those games. And, and, you know, we treated it like the NCAA tournament. Hey, you have a big win on, you upset someone on Friday night. That's, you know, maybe a higher seed than you in the tournament. And then you got to go back and play a great team the next day as well. And so like, that was our mindset going in was, you know, last year we weren't ready for the second round game to NCAA tournament because we had to play back to back all year. And that was one thing that we really stressed with that is, Hey, we got to be, ready to go the next night, no matter who we're playing. And, you know, and our guys really seem to um, get the message. Todd, I think that was the interesting part. You had reached out to me um, leading into it saying, I wanted to play in back-to-back games. I think this was the third time 
this season. You guys have played in back-to-backs. You also seem to have the approach out there. I saw you scouting teams maybe you weren't even playing by coming to the games and taking things in. I thought, I can't say for sure because sometimes it got blurry, but I thought I even saw some of the players in the stands watching some of the games. You you guys, you didn't make it a full-on business trip like Whitworth did a number of years ago, which seemed to take away from the whole fun of it all. But you guys did have the understanding that, listen, you know, th- we're doing this to some extent to teach us and get us ready for March. Yeah, it was great. I, I went to as many games as I could. We are on our schedule to watch other teams play. And you want to see what other people do. You know, you go watch Trinity, Texas, and watch all their different zones they were playing and see why they're ranked real high and, you know, see their one freshman that's a really nice player, Christian Green, I think his name was. And, you know, you go watch those and you're there. So it's like, okay, it's either that or you're sitting on a uh, slot machine or at a table. So I said, I might as well get myself out of a casino and get over there and watch the games. But yeah, our guys went over and yeah, they, they had fun. Believe me, you know, they, they have fun, but you know, our guys are, and we have a lot of new guys, you know, that came here to win games and, you know, they want to be part of this and, you know, and I think they want to go over and watch, okay, we want to see these other teams that maybe we've never seen a team for Texas or we haven't seen uh, a team from California. So I think they were very into it and trying to see what they could learn as well. Pivoting forward, I remember you saying to me as as you were leaving, like I said something about, hey, you know, good luck in conference play. NYU looks pretty good. You know, Chicago's coming along. Wash U, et cetera, et cetera. And you turned and said, I'm more worried about Carnegie Mellon. They're they're our next opponent, and they are darn good. They could easily beat us. And you weren't saying it from a defeatist point of view. You were saying it from a realistic. Listen, they're going to be a challenge. So when they beat you on the road, I was half. Not surprised. I, I kind of sat there going, maybe I should have listened to McGinnis more. This team is good, and that's what's made the UAA so difficult. But was that kind of bop on the nose, maybe good right out of the gate to kind of get you into UAA play maybe a little bit more seriously? Yeah, it, it worked out well. Um, you know, I think we – I was letting things go. I, I, I hardly ever say I, but, you know, we weren't – rebounding like we needed to be. We gave up 17 offensive rebounds in the first half against Carnegie Mellon. So, you know, that was an emphasis of getting back to, you know, being the tougher team. The last couple of years we've been – usually when you watch games, we're kind of the tougher team. And, you know, we go out there and and we got bullied against Carnegie Mellon. I give them great credit, you know, and they came off a loss to Ithaca where, it's, you know, they didn't play well. And, you know, so they're getting yelled at all week about us. And we come in there number two and the highest ranking ever. And, you know, so I think it was a little bit of – you know, we were prepared. They just got us early. And, you know, and I know we're a pretty good team when, you know, we didn't play our best in the first half. And we had the ball twice in the second half with a couple minutes to go down one where we just missed, you know, and we shot it bad. And, you know, and we we tried a little bit harder in the second half. And, you know, but Mellon's good. You know, R.J. Holmes, if you had a draft of people in America and said, hey, I'm going to take a, a forward number out of the, anyone in the country, he might be the number one pick. That's, you know, that he he's up there and, you know, Jack Stone, he gives us issues and they, they have good players. And Tony does a great job of being prepared and having them playing hard and playing on the road is not easy. You know, we're looking at the calendar. We're eight out of the next 11 days we're on the road starting this weekend. So, you know, it's not like we're driving an hour to go play someone in the middle of Ohio or in the middle of Pennsylvania. We're, we're eight out of 11 days in Atlanta, Rochester, St. Louis, and Chicago. So like 
our season, you know, we, we have to be ready to go tomorrow. We have to be, you know, but you look at it and you're like, Oh my God, we got the dreaded four in a row. Every two years you get this dreaded four in a row and you find out, you know, Emory was ranked Rochester's playing better now than they were earlier in the year. I think they changed what they're doing a little bit in the last three games. Like, if you, I know you were at the Hopkins game, but you know, if you watch that game compared to what they're doing now, it's like a different team. And, you know, and then, um, you know, Chicago has some of the best talent in our leg and Wash U, of course is one of the best well-coached teams in our conference too, with really good players. So, you know, you find out what you're made of here real quick. Yeah. I think that's, what's the interesting part. And, and listen, we talked about it on Monday show with, with Ryan and Bob about how my perception of Rochester is completely different than everybody else's because it, very seemingly, Flakertsy's gotten his program kind of turned about in a, two games. But you got Carnegie, you've got Chicago. Mike McGrath seems playing very well, uh, despite some losses. You've got um, obviously <laughs> yourselves, NYU, who's playing well. But you even you guys even struggled with Brandeis in the last game out. You only got him by one point after a very solid win over NYU at their place. But does that also go back to your teams not rebounding as well as you want them to? Well, Brandeis is good. Like, I, they, if you look oh, at certainly. their record, absolutely, yeah. yeah. They were eight. They won eight in a row. Then they lost at NYU at NYU. Then they beat Mellon at Mellon handily. And then you know they had us in the first half, and we just made some plays down the stretch. Um, and they guard. Oh, he's Gene does a great job. Like he, you know, he's he has those guys playing hard. And you know, they had a guy get hurt a little bit late in the game that if really changed the game a little bit, you know, and that helped us out, but, you know, hurt them a little bit, but they're, you know, they guard better than anyone in our conference and they're a little different. You know I mean? They're, they're up underneath you and, you know, let, not letting you move as much as you're uh, used to against maybe some other teams that aren't as physical and as, you know, up into you, but they're, you know, it's every game, you know, the biggest thing is everyone knows what you run. You know what I mean? Where you maybe go out to play some teams and they don't know, but like here, everyone's good coaches. Like our conference is, you know, there's a reason coaches don't leave this conference. You know what I mean? And every, there's no first time head coaches, you know, Gene was, but you know, he, he, he's figured it out real quick. And, you know, there's every game you, you got to be like, Oh my God, what are we going to go against tonight? You know, what are we going to go against tomorrow? And you didn't even mention Emory who has like, you know, who we're going against tomorrow. That's uber talented, uber well coached that, you know, has been a, three on the road. So they haven't played a UA game at home. And, you know, it's a lot different playing on the road than it is at home, especially in this conference. No, exactly. And that's where I was pivoting was that you, you what people are going to sense on this show is we're talking about the grinds, win or losses in conference play and in this time of the year, in this January stretch. It's always a grind to, you know, keep it going at this point in the season. And this is a grind. You talked about it four games in a row and you're starting off with the toughest schedule in the UAA in the sense that you've got to fly to Emory and then fly to Rochester or vice versa, depending on who is who. Uh, Carnegie's obviously doing the flip of that. And so you've got the longest hauls here. You've got the longest trips. You've got the longest gaps. You've got the most stress. And then you're going to back that door into the Chicago Wash U, which pretty much comes close second to this trip. This, as you said, it's not easy, but how do you then prep for each team individually? Because you got to focus, obviously, on Emory first on Friday while not letting a game like Sunday's against Rochester slip away, too. Yeah, you know, it's I've been, what are you, eight years, seven years with the, out of COVID or whatever uh, years it is, and I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, we're still 
we, where there is no, there's no easy answer. You know, like we look and we leave the hotel at nine 15 on Saturday morning, get to the airport, fly to Rochester at 11 15, get there at two or whatever time we get there, go right to practice after getting off a plane, after playing the night before, and then try to go through their stuff if you can, you know, and trying to figure it out. So, and then you're back to the hotel eating, trying to get guys to go to bed and then up at nine and going to play, you know, so it's, you know, with a noon start. So we try to be simple, you know, we try to be as, you know, this is probably one of the simplest offensives and defensive teams I've coached since I've been here, um, you know, and just, try to put guys in positions and, you know, try to figure out what we're going to try to take away on the other team and then go from there. And, you know, it's about film a little bit, but then it's just about like on Sundays, like the effort you give, you know, like go out there and you're going to give up some shots because you don't, you're not that prepared as you should be because you just don't have the time or, you know, the manpower to get to there, but go out there and know who their shooters are, know who their drivers are. And then hopefully we make shots. Curious, you you've you know, so we talked to a lot of people about the adjustments to the COVID year and adjusting to the portal. You guys are in the extreme, and it's funny when I've talked to you about this off air over the years about how you have case in point this year five graduate students and another two or I'm sorry three seniors on this team plus whoever else is transferring in. You got three uh, juniors, you got three sophomores, and you got five freshmen listed on the roster. It's an interesting approach because as a four-year institution i know you're recruiting for those four-year students to come in and help build the program but somehow the door is open to case to have these transfers come in whether they've got the extra year intact or they just want to transfer in general or be graduate students whatever the case may be this is kind of an interesting scenario that i know you didn't necessarily go out there to start you weren't looking to do this but here's where you are. So where's this balancing act for you in terms of prepping the team, being honest with recruits, getting guys on the same page, playing out the season, and what has now been three years in a row, having a really good group on the floor? Yeah, you know, I laugh because I, I tell people, I um, probably shouldn't say it on here, but it took 50 years of pandemic and a couple of grad guys to get us in the NCAA tournament for the first time and get us a UAA championship yeah, for the first time. So, you know, usually we have a connection with these guys beforehand. Um, you know, I can go, I, I go through it to other people, but like there's usually a connection, maybe recruited him out of high school and maybe didn't work or maybe played against him or recruited a brother or, or no family friend or, you know, so there's always a connection and they, they have to be the right guys too. You know, we're not looking to, take guys that are going to be problems. We want guys and we're honest with them. Like your role might change a little bit. You you know, we're going to bring other guys in. We tell freshmen too, like, Hey, like there's going to be transfers coming in here. You know, like there's going to be guys coming in some older guys and good programs don't win with freshmen. We all know that. Like, and so the balance is like, all right, we got to, you know, we're always trying to find the right fit. And, you know, in case it's the kid with a 33, 34 ACT that, you know, wants to be an engineer or wants to be a doctor or, you know, something along that lines that, you know, that is the right fit academically. And then, you know, our grad school is one of the best in the country and they'll be able to come in our master's of finance programs one year. So it's able to, you know, guys can come in for a year, get a master's of finance and your life changes, you know, like you, you put that case Western finance degree on your, your uh, master's of finance on your resume and all of a sudden your job 
power earning power goes from whatever it might have been to a lot more, you know, and that's just a one year program. And, you know, it's there's guys reaching out all the time. I think last year we had almost 40 guys reach out to us about, you know, inquiring about our grad program, about, you know, taking transfers and, you know, everyone out there listening, we're a one year program that, um, you know, you can get a master's of finance in. And then we got to balance it. You know, it's interesting because a couple of our guys are last year, Mitch Pendergrass, who was, I think, All-American, D3 Hoops All-American. He was 25 years old, I think, or 24 or 25 by the time he was done. And he's hanging out with 18-year-old freshmen. So I give our guys credit there. You know, they're they're really good kids. All our guys are good kids. Like, you know, they're high, high achievers in the classroom. And they all get along, you know, and they're there as mentors and helping guys out. And, you know, and like tonight at dinner, we'll have a few alumni there that are talking to our guys about job placement, about where they want to go, what they want to do. And, you know, it's it's a really unique that you have to be simple. Like, you know, you can't come in and expect like, all right, we're going to come in and run the Princeton offense and we're going to do all these crazy defenses. Like, all right, we're going to be as simple as we can because we don't have that much time. And we're going to figure out where you make shots from, how you can play, what, where you like the ball as quickly as we can. And then hopefully it works. And, you know, I, I say, especially with taking transfers and the grad guys, you better win, you know, you better be winning. Like, and you got to win early. And if you can get on a roll, then they start getting used to each other. Then all of a sudden you're number two in the country. Like we are right now. I didn't, and that, did I envision this at the beginning of this year? No, I, I, when we went, signed up to go to Hoopsville in Vegas, I didn't know four of these guys were going to be on my team. So, you know, we, we knew we were going to get some guys, but you know, then we end up getting Anthony Mazios, the four time UA player of the week and a very good player. And, and I remember two years ago, we scrimmaged against him and he absolutely lit us up. Like we had a point guard at that point, Griffin Corniker, who was a very good player, came in from Middlebury. And that was his first scrimmage and Maz ah, dominated. We couldn't do anything with him. And, you know, and then he reached, you know, we, we figured find each other a little bit when he's looking for a school after graduation. And he's like, what do you think? I was like, well, I remember when you absolutely torched us in a scrimmage. So uh, we'd like to have you here and, you know, I think some people are finding out in the UA and on the national scene that, you know, the, the guy from beat up that now a case is a really, really good player. And, you know, that's goes along with Colin Call, Preston Maddox, you know, Richie Manigo, all those guys. And we have returners, Umar Rashid, Sam Trunley, Luke Thorburn, Ian, Ian Elam. Those guys have been through it. Those guys are, you know, they've been in two NCAA tournaments, you know, they sweet 16 playing valuable minutes and, you know, maybe fly a little bit under a radar with this group, but those guys are very valuable for our team. Yeah. Manziel's leading the team at 19 and a half points a game, shooting 52% from the floor, 42% from deep, uh, 69% from the free throw line, four rebounds a game and over four assists per contest. By the way, Colin call, um, kale, right? Sorry, kale, Colin yeah. kale. Uh, see the, the Vegas is coming back to me in the broadcast. I remember that now 15 points a game, seven rebounds a game, 12 points from Sam Trunley, 10 points from Omar Rashid, uh, nine points from Richie Manigal, obviously getting a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys from different experience levels, from different programs, as you talked about from Mazio. But Todd, you've probably seen me say this on Twitter. I know I've said it on the show as well. People get all excited about who's coming into a school as a freshman or who's transferring to a program. And I say, first off, you know, they've, they've got to put their deposit down. Then they got to show up. Then they got to be in class. Then they got to be at practice. Then they got to get a uniform. Then they got to be in a game before I really appreciate that they're with a program. But second of all, to get that glue to work, to get that team to come together and work, 
There are many examples out there in Division Three where a transfer has come in, we never hear from them again. Where a guy has come from a higher level and come in, never hear him again. Or a team splinters. It doesn't work out. And we could probably look at Trinity, Texas last year as an example of maybe a little of that. How in the world are you guys able to do this year in and year out, essentially rolling over the roster every year and still getting better and better? That's a huge buy-in. Yeah, I I wish I could uh, <laughs> tell you how. I, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. It's just like I, I've changed as a coach. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I will get fired up during games, but I'm really calm, you know, for myself, you know, and, um, you know, just trying to get guys. And, like, I don't talk much. Like, if you were at a practice or around us, like, I, I'm not a big talker. Like, maybe on here a little bit. Maybe when I'm out with my friends or at dinner or something, I, I, I can be very talkative. But, you know, it's just it's just the good guys, like, trying to figure out, like, all right, what pieces work, how this is going to work. I didn't know coming into the year. Honestly, I didn't know if it was going to work. I I, I didn't. That's I, I, me being dead honest. I was there's some sleepless nights. I knew we had very good players, and I think it was one of the early on practices. And my assistant Brian Murphy, who, who uh, coached me in college, and you know it's full circle that he's back helping us out. And he came in and he was like, "Oh my god, are we good?" And I was like, "Well, what do you think?" He's like, "Well, we have one of everything." And he's like, "Then we have some I've never guys off the bench." Talent like this before, <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, I, I, "And he played at Hamilton. His dad had unreal teams. Tom Murphy at Hamilton and legendary coach. And you know, he's like, oh my gosh, like if we stay healthy and get along, we're going to be pretty good.'" And I, I think I was like, you know, like a kid in a candy shop. It was like, "Oh my gosh, like we got we got a pretty good squad out of here." And you know, I don't tell anyone that. You know, I'm not going to reach out on Twitter or tell people like, oh, oh, we'll be okay. We'll be competitive. And, you know, and, and we, we got a long way to go. You know, it's a great start. We got a long way to go, but it's just like putting guys in being simple. You know, the, I think the, the teams that I coached that haven't been great. We ran more stuff and played more defenses and this team. We, we run less stuff and play less defense. And, you know, people are always like, oh, you guys don't run anything. Or what are you trying to run out there? Like, we don't really do anything. And next thing you look up and we have 95 points, I'm like, well, we must be doing something right. You know, and so it's, you know, getting buy-in, getting guys to run the floor hard, you know, rebound. And then, you know, then then Ian Elam started every game for us last year, led the UA in field goal percentage. And we're bringing them off the bench. You know, you got to have – you know, good leadership and you got to have guys willing to do that. And Ian's been great, you know, and he was incredible against Washington. Uh, the, who did we play last weekend? NYU and Brandeis. Ian hit a three. He didn't make a three all last year. He's four for seven this year and he had a massive three. So just being able to have guys like that, that are great kids that, you know, that they understand, like they've been through it. Like they're like, Ian Elam didn't dress in the NCAA tournament or freshman his uh, first year. They started in NCAA tournament last year. And this year he's, you know, playing great you know so i think it's just a these guys expect to win like it's it's kind of like it's like they expect to win these games and that's that's nice you know what i mean where years past we maybe came into games and we're case and we've never won and we're not supposed to win we play in a high school gym or a middle school gym you know we're not supposed to be able to beat emory or we're not supposed to be able to beat wash and you know i think it took a little bit i i, I really go back to having Griff Corniker, you know, he was one of the guys that really changed this. He came from Middlebury and he got here. He's like, we're going to win. 
you know, and it just changed and no one knew better, you know, no one knew better. And that's kind of where it's at now is, you know, no one, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I wish I could bottle it up and sell it or write a book about it because I probably could be pretty successful if I was able to under have other people understand, it, especially at the highest levels, because you look at division one, those rosters are crazy and, you know, it doesn't always work. And it's, you know, it, it's just having guys that are willing to buy in. And, it, you know, when we talk to them, we're like, Hey, we're trying to win the UAA. We're trying to win a national title. That's why we're here. And like when we were in, when we were in uh, playing Oswego before the game, we were in that trailer or whatever we were out in the back with the horse manure. And uh, I looked at the guys and said, this is why you guys came here. I said, I, I pointed to the grad guys and said, this is Anthony. This is why you came here. Colin, Richie, this is why you guys came here is to play in these games, to play in UA, you know, and you, ha- this is why we're here. And, you know, and so it's, um, you know, it's a great group and, you know, they'll be lifelong friends. These guys are all be friends and they'll be friends with the other grad guys and the other seniors that, you know, graduated that, you know, that have started this. And, you know, it's just been, it's been fun. You know, it's, you know, it's funny. People always ask about how to get alumni. We still don't get the great student turnout unless it's the NCAA tournament, but how to get alumni involved in places or how to get people back. And, you know, unsolicited, the mayor of Cleveland, who's a case undergrad and law, uh, law uh, graduate, was at our game on Friday night against NYU, you know? And so, like, he, you know, it's people always say, oh, we need to do this promotion or this. Well, winning helps cure, uh, get people in the stands. And, you know, in our, you know, that's just one of our famous alumni that are out there. But, you know, it's nice to see the mayor of Cleveland sit in the stands. It doesn't happen too often. No, you're absolutely right. Um, one other thing, kind of touched on it a little bit there, but remember – Let's remind people two seasons ago, 20 wins, that 20th coming to get you to the Sweet 16, a heart-wrenching loss to Mary Harden Baylor in overtime at home in the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16. Last year, 22 wins. Those These are these are levels that have never been achieved by this program. First ever UAA title as you had it. But with the turnover, can you use those seasons and the near misses as motivation? Because there's players on this team that don't understand two years ago there's players on this team that don't understand even last year or they saw it from afar do you just have to come in with a, a fresh approach and and not dwell too much on hey remember last year we we bumbled it this way this is why we're uh, blah 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 i honestly i think it uh that i learned that early in the year i was like saying something about last year then i looked out there and i'm like <laughs> these guys weren't even here last year. So it's like, all right, we got to, we're done with last year. And so, you know, and it's interesting. We used to only, you know, watch film on Thursdays before a game on Friday. And now we have to watch a little bit earlier because none of these guys have been through it. They don't know when I say Ben Pierce at Emory is a really good player, maybe one of the better point guards in the country. Jair Knight's one of the best athletes in the country. You know, the way they play, the way Coach Zimmerman, uh, Jason Zimmerman has them playing, how fast fast how how tough emory is and so you have to show them because if not they're not ready for it you know like they're like they're they're you know you have and then the older guys are like hey this pace is nuts tomorrow like you have to get back on excuse me on defense so you have to stop the ball higher here and i think that's where we use a little bit but we have to like i have to take a step back half the time and be like oh these guys weren't here last year so you know we don't really talk about it i don't that mary Harden baylor game i I, I don't know if I, I've told a few people this. I never even saw the play. I turned around because I thought we won the game and stole the ball. And then I watched it one time on film, and I've never watched it again. I don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to 
watch that watch that again and you know and the the gut-wrenching locker rooms after and you know like some of the, the older guys that have been here know that i don't think they want to go through that again and you know last year after losing at home and you know but like it's been a heck of a ride like sweet 16 first ncaa tournament went at home we never had a banner for basketball men's basketball in the gym and now we have two ua champion two ncaa tournaments so it's uh you know, you look up there and you remember how lucky you are to work at a great institution like Case Western. But then you're like, man, has it been a fun two years? And, you know, the older we get, the quicker the years go by. And but, you know, it's been it's been outstanding. Did I ever ex- expect eight years ago when I took the case job, we'd be number two team. I keep seeing it behind your uh, head there. And I just it's it's not, it, it feels like it's a dream half the time. And so, you know, it's just keep playing well, keep riding out and, you know, stay healthy and, you know, stay out of the way. That's why I try to do a little bit of this. Stay the heck out of the way of some of these guys because they're pretty good players. And just think what you could have done at Goucher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Inside joke, no comment. Couldn't resist. No. Hey, Todd, I could dive into a lot of other topics, but you got to go. I got to go. We'll just get you on another time and dive in. Really impressed with what the Spartans have done and what is an absolutely bonkers UAA race and can't wait to see how it turns out. I know it's a tough grind ahead, but we wish you guys all the luck and all the all the wishes on also uh, a healthy series of games here too. I know that's important for everybody. As always, though, you know we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I would say, um, you know, if there's other coaches, I don't know how many people would actually want to listen to me talk, but uh, if there are people out there that think you're going to have a good team next year or the year after, Go out to Vegas. It's worth it. You know, it's worth it to get the high competition, get the coverage of, you know, a lot of guys watching, a lot of top 25 voters out there. Um, it's a great tournament. Uh, I recommend it to everyone. I've never done it, and hopefully we'll go back out in a couple years here. And But um, I highly recommend um, that experience if you've never had it. Well, thanks, sir. I appreciate that pitch. Uh, you are always welcome, as you know. Glad we finally wore you down and got you out there. And uh, it was fun having you. Congratulations on the season so far. Look forward to seeing the way it plays out. And we'll talk soon. Todd McGinnis joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Great conversation there with Todd McGinnis. And thanks to all you for bearing with us on us, as that didn't want to work initially, but it worked out in the end. Uh, we'll take another break. Oh, actually, before that, quick look. Of course, um, Case Western is in the 7th region, the Region 7, whatever you want to call it. So that's uh, the top, uh, the region we look at this uh, Thursday show. So quick look around the rest of the, of the region. MIA, we touched on this at the beginning of the show. Calvin got the win over Hope. Uh, that means Calvin and Trine are now top, top, tied atop the conference. They're both 15-1, 5-0 in conference play. Uh, Hope is now 12-4, and 4-1 four, four and one in conference action. Then it's a two-game gap back to Alma and Kalamazoo, who are 2-3 and three each. Albion and Adrian are 1-4 and four each. Olivet is 0-5. Oh uh, it seems like it's going to be a three-horse race. Uh, Hope and Calvin play each other, I believe, coming up uh, in two games' time. Calvin will play Alma and then try, and this is all at home. Then they pivot and play Hope again on the 27th of January. Some of these conferences, honestly, you all, 
we got to talk about conference scheduling a little bit better. Um, and then they'll finish with trying. So there's a lot still to be played in the MIAA. In the OAC, John Carroll is on top, 15-1. and one. Uh, Two games back is Mount Union at 7-2 and two in conference play. They're 14-2 and two overall. They are tied with Heidelberg, who's 11-5, 7-2 in conference play. Then it's Marietta, two games back of that at 5-4 and four and 11-5 and five overall. This OAC race is going to be interesting. Whether anybody can catch John Carroll, I'm unsure. I don't think John Carroll gets through this conference unscathed. I think the finish of this one is going to be a little bit more interesting than people realize. NCAC, real quick, Wittenberg's having a great season. They're 12-5 on the season, 6-2 and two on the campaign in the conference, tied with Denison, who's having a good season. Um, game back is DePaul, Wabash, and Worcester, all tied at 5-3 and three in conference action. Ohio Wesleyan, not that far out at 4-4. Four and four. Oberlin's at 3-5, and five. Kenyon 2-6, and six. Hiram O-6. NCAC race. Remember, John Carroll's entering this conference in a year and a half's time. That'll be a fun one to watch. St. Vincent's undefeated, 17-0, 12-0 in conference action in the PAC. Geneva's a game back at 11-1, 15-2. Those two teams starting to walk away. Chatham is a distant third right now, three games back of Geneva, four games back of St. Vincent at 10-7 and and 8-4 in conference action. But St. Vincent, Geneva having really good seasons. I'm sure we'll get D.P. Harris, who's returned to take over the St. Vincent squad back uh, on this show at some point in time. Quick look at the AMCC, by the way. Pitt Bradford and Alfred State, along with LaRoche and Pitt Greensburg, are all 6-3 and three in conference action. No one's better than 10-6 and six in overall action. Penn State Barrett is 5-3. and three. That's going to be an interesting race, but that's going to be a one-horse race the rest of the way. When we come back, we'll talk women's basketball. Head out to Iowa to talk about Cohawks women's basketball and the very interesting American Rivers a conference race out there. You listen to Hoopsville, presented by D3 Hoops. Back with more after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. save on time on what a show has already been along because of some good interviews but also our our glitch there with the todd mcginnis interview earlier just going to get right to it since everything is pre-taped tonight except for me you're hearing me live so if you want to interact with us or email us or whatever you want to do feel free and speaking of which we got an update from our friend alan karen who mentioned that yeshiva actually got back from their trip to uh, israel last week and they're actually back in action they're uh, down in Immaculata right now, and that game is underway in the first half. Immaculata, or um, sorry, uh, Yeshiva, off to a good start against the Max so far. Um, all right, so pivoting to women's basketball, if you take a look at the 
uh, American Rivers Conference out in Region 9. We talked to Warburg earlier this season and talked about how they are once again playing well, and they continue to do so. They're 15-2 and two overall, 8-0 in conference action. But Loris women, along with their men, are having a really good season. They're 13-2 and two overall, 6-1 and one in conference action. Then look at Simpson, who's always in the race. They're 5-2 and two in conference play. And then it's Coe at 5-3. and three. Coe just had a good game with Warburg last night. Unfortunately, it didn't go Coe's way. But the Cohawks are in the conversation. And they're playing well, thanks in part to their, their head coach and um, alum, I should say, Kayla Waskow. Or Wasco. Wasco. I keep saying it wrong. It's easy to remember. Her last name sounds like the school. Coe. Uh, forgive. You can maybe hear our puppy upstairs barking away we'll get into this one but we sat down earlier today to talk about the race the turnaround with the program and so much more now joining us on the hoopsville hotline it's the head coach of the co women's basketball team it's kayla wasco coach thanks for taking the time congratulations team is obviously having a, a pretty spectacular season so far at 14 and 3 conferences uh tripped you up a little bit we'll talk about the conference in a bit but you gotta be happy with 14 and 3 considering where this program has been in just in recent times yeah was, well first of all thanks for having me um but yeah we're really happy we uh, i mean just two years ago we won eight games so been a good turnaround for us um last year had a solid year and then off to a great start this year and a couple games early got us and then warburg who's obviously um you know one of the better teams in the country right now got us a close one last night uh played really well we, we led a good chunk of the game so yeah we're happy with where we're sitting um as we flip to the second time through conference here this saturday Two of the losses actually came, as you kind of mentioned, back-to-back late November. So that's something to keep in mind. Of three losses, two of them came on to Loris and Simpson on the 21st and 29th of November. Since then, just one loss to Wartburg, and we're just coming off of that last night. You, you've This is a team that's certainly gained some momentum and had some key wins in that stretch as well. Yeah, you've gotten challenged, but you're playing at the same time well against those you need to play well against, right? Is is that how we kind of read into this? Yeah, I mean, you kind of I keep telling our team and and you know people around our program, we're winning the games you need to win. You still got to win them, you know. Um, so, uh, and I think some of the close wins we had in December like gave us a lot of confidence that you know you just keep building on that. You know, we won a buzzer beater against North Central. And then had a, a big win out in California, fun one out there for us. And so, yeah, you still got to win games, and we had done that. And I, I think that just helped us to continue to to get to where we won. We'd, we'd gotten to 10 in a row so um, up until last night. You know, Warburg obviously clugging along in the conference at a 15-2 and two yeah. overall, 8-0 in conference play. They've got a two-game-and-a-half uh, advantage on Loris. They've got a two-and-a-half on Simpson and now three on yourself. This obviously looked a little tighter, especially when I reached out. Obviously, it was a big game against Warburg, but that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show, win or lose against Warburg, because, you know, this is, as we talked to other guests, this is the bit of the grind of the season. This is the grind of conference play, whether they do have January classes or they don't. You know, keeping focus on basketball without it being overwhelming, keeping focused on big teams without it being overwhelming, et cetera, and being on the road too. They are challenging yourselves to have to travel. You guys have a start of a three-game stretch here on the road with that Warburg game. There's a lot going on when it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on. Yeah. 
and that's why I've been proud of our girls. I mean, we've only played six games at home. So, I mean, 17 games, 11 have been on the road for us. So, uh, finding ways, like I said, to win, and especially on the road when there is stuff going on. We started classes back up last week, so we're back into class. And um, so when you can compete on the road, you know, uh, you'll take that as a coach for sure. When you obviously lick your wounds from a loss to Warburg, which was, by the way, close. We should point out 52-45. It was a tight game. Certainly. Yeah, it's, actually, it's actually, I think, 47. I don't know if the score got Oh, yeah. Our system may be wrong. That's yeah, easy it was. to fix. And we led a good chunk. They kind of they scored a late three with about a minute and a half to go, and then got to get up two. So um, it was a defensive battle for both groups. Struggled a little bit to shoot, but I think that just shows how good our league is. You know, um, you know, some days you're going to win with a lot of offense, and some days games are going to come down to defense. And and that's what it was for us last night. And they just made some key plays down the stretch, but. Our, our girls really competed, and that's all I asked for, and um, put a, put ourselves in a great spot with two minutes to go, you know, to to be in the game. Well, that was the thing. Is listen, it might be Warburg, it may be this behemoth that's been in the conference. Though the conference has certainly been a battle yeah. for a number of years. Nothing is written in stone at all. But you played them tight. Maybe played them a little bit below the average. You guys come in averaging seventy two and a half points a game and giving up fifty nine. So obviously, it's played a little bit more to Warburg's style in terms of slowdown but that's even if it's a loss it's got to build some some confidence that you're able to go toe for toe you got them the last game of the season i'm sure this will be looked back on at that point but you're going to use it moving forward too that you can play with anybody it's just a matter of a shot here or a shot there for sure. And and our, our girls felt that after the game and obviously it stung a little bit, um, but we get to get to jump back in today. And I think they feel good about stuff going forward. And like I said, we're back to playing our conference second time through. So, you know, you, you just start to string them back together. That's the goal um, to see how many you can go game at a time and, and start to string them back together. So we, we feel good with where we're at. Um, and at the end of the day, like I said, our girls are competing and playing really hard and we're still working through some stuff. We got a, a good chunk of upperclassmen, but we're pretty young too. So figuring some of that out. And that was some of our early stuff. And we've just gotten a lot more confident as we've, as we've come along. You're in a weird spot though, in the schedule in terms of, of teams, because you played Nebraska Wesley and then Warburg, then Buena Vista and then Loris. So yeah. you're playing, uh, uh, more of the bottom of the conference in Nebraska West and then the top in Warburg, then more of yep. the bottom of the conference in University, then the top in Loris. That can throw some concentration. We call it trap games sometimes. How do you keep the team focused on understanding that, yeah, Warburg and Loris are big, but if we don't handle our business against Nebraska Wesleyan, which you did, but also Buena Vista, we're going to be in a deeper hole going up against the bigger teams. Right, yeah, and I think that's just something we've talked about with our group Um you know that each day you got to respect your opponent, but you got to you got to show up. And I think just the confidence we gained and gained in our ten game win streak, like that, just plays into it a little bit. You get a little more mature, so you show up to some of those games a little more locked in, I guess, a little more focused. But yeah, it's kind of a roller coaster in terms of who we're playing and and how you respond to that. Um, but obviously, we did well against Wesleyan, and uh, hopefully, we'll do the same thing here this Saturday against Puerto Vista. The other thing that is uh, always so nice this time of year is the weather. And I'm, I'm, I'm checking, as you and I are speaking now, we should point out we are pre-recording this. Um, it's, a, it's a high in the teens, lows in the single digits. It may, you know, listen, on a bus, it may not be the end of the world, though buses certainly take some abuse in this weather. You obviously have, obviously, 
uh, the winter side of it in terms of snow and wind and all that. There's got to be some flexibilities. We talked with other coaches too about the grind through the not only the conference season, but you're grinding through the worst of winter yeah. to deal with that too. There may be postponements. There may be adjustments in game times. You got to all be flexible and still stay on task. And that's actually what happened. Our our Wesleyan game on Saturday well got moved to Sunday, so that kind of throws off your rhythm in terms of your week and what it looks like, and then heading into Warburg. So again, our girls just did a great job. You get kind of thrown a curveball there, and you still on a an abnormal prep week, you still show up really well. Um, so yeah, we had kind of been bragging. Winter's been great. It's been great, and we just got dumped on here. I don't know what we've gotten. We over like a week, we got like thirty inches of snow, and we were negative forty wind chill. A couple days ago so we're in the heart of it for sure uh i think we're coming out of it hopefully but uh yeah the adjustment to the schedules we had it which you don't have a ton but we responded well to that too admittedly i'm a little jealous i wouldn't mind a nice big snowstorm and snowstorm one's fine the windshield man that just a couple uh, windshield can, start, yeah that can be know. a beast yeah it was a lot I, I did enjoy it a little bit, but I totally appreciate how the windshield can just bite you. Um, let's talk about this team a little bit. When you look at in terms of experience, it is kind of an even balance. You've got a lot of upperclassmen, uh, fifth years and seniors at total six. You've got three juniors, but you've got a strong amount of sophomores and freshmen. And it's kind of been a theme we've noticed with, I'd say, about three quarters of the teams we talked to on the show so far this season where we've got this balance. We're still used to the COVID year which has one more in existence. You're still used to these transfers and these extra seasons, but a lot of teams have a lot of depth in terms of underclassmen and finding that balance has been fascinating. Where's the balance been like for this team? Yeah, that's one thing we worked through a lot early, you know, figuring it out and, and what it looks like. Our league has a lot of fifth years back. Um, you know, I think six all-conference fifth years returned in our league. We, we didn't have any. So uh, that was part of, like I said, part of our, you know, figuring ourselves out early. Uh, we're, we're starting three, two sophomores and a freshman. Um, and so just kind of navigating that. Uh, and so I think it's, I credit my seniors. They've done a great job with our younger players. And, and some of them have, you know, taken some minutes and stuff like that. And they've responded really well and, and kind of mentored them along. Um, but that has helped us, I think, a lot through our stretch there that we felt like we do have depth, more depth than we've had in the past. Um, and you're going to live through some mistakes from some younger players and you take that a little bit. Um, but yeah, we've definitely kind of got the two ends of it uh, for us, but it's, it's worked out well. And, and our group has responded to it really well too. But then you look at the sheets and you see kind of that mix because you've got a sophomore in, in Katie Kirkham leading the team at 18 and a half points a game, nearly five rebounds, Per contest, I think she's number one in assists. If I can screw, yep, it moved my screen a little bit there. That she is number one. Then you yeah. have a senior in Kaylin Peterson, yeah. second on the team at thirteen point four, nearly a double double, nine point seven boards per yeah. contest. Taylor Brunson, then I believe a freshman, freshman eleven and a half yeah. points a game, four and a half boards per contest, and then it's and then a sophomore. Uh, I'm sorry, a junior in um, Ellie Wiz Weisner at six point nine points. So again. Yeah. You've got this mix right at the top. Normally when we hear this balance, there's still either a chunk of upperclassmen leading the way. In your case, one from every class. Yeah, one from every class. And I think it's it's a 
it's been fun, you know, everyone's getting chances and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and definitely, like I said, I think our senior leadership has helped, helped our younger players, but then it's been really fun to see our young players, you know, our sophomores are better than they were last year. And then to have a freshman and, you know, and third and scoring for us on a good team. And, and so I think, like I said, our depth is there. Um, and that's kind of what's helped us throughout this stretch, but it is unique. Usually you kind of, and I've seen that in our league this year, I feel like it's kind of upperclassmen heavy with the COVID stuff. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of fifth years back, a lot of seniors, uh, and we're kind of opposite of that. I guess we've got a blend of a little bit of everyone. You're also playing a lot of the depth, uh, a lot of team, nine players have played in every single game, 10 pretty much in the in vast majority of the game. And in a handful in eight or nine, so about half of the games otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you've got the depth. You're willing to go into that depth. Is that a, a, a testament of the talent? Is that more to do with trying to get those players some experience in games that allow it? Granted, with 10, that means every game. Where is the decision factor with, with playing that many players? Uh, that's always hard as a coach, right? You know, I think um, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of you know, trying to get some experience from our younger players, but at the same time, like trusting, you know, some of our upperclassmen and getting them some more minutes too. So it's a fine line. We're, you know, we're still working through it a little bit, but I do think it's a little bit of both for us. And sometimes, honestly, it's, you know, who looked really good that week in practice or, you know, those couple days leading up to a contest or who matches up a little bit better with who we're going to play. Um, so for us, it's, it's it's nice to have you know that you have that option um and so it's it's definitely a balance of both for us interestingly enough as some of our other guests have been you're an alma mater or you're this is your alma mater is what i'm trying to stumble my way through and getting a chance to come back not only having had your career where you certainly were a a tremendous player for the cohawks but you went out got some assistant assistant experience came back became assistant now you're the head coach and you're leading this program to where it hasn't been before last year was record setting this year on pace to even better that this is a program that when we talk about in the arc we don't normally dive in and talk about the cohawks women's team the last time you had 20 wins in a season was back in 08 um what's it like to kind of be guiding this program back to where it hasn't been in a while other than around 500 or a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, that was one thing that was really fun for me taking over. And one of the first things I said is that I wanted to get it back. To, I mean, I played in two NCAA tournaments when we were here, so I wanted to get it back to that. Cause I think it's great basketball. It has the opportunity to do that. Um, and so to see that come to a reality here, you know, I'm on year seven. So, so to get us back to that, has been uh, obviously a grind, but I think it's it says a lot about what we have going here co- at Co, the opportunities here at Co, um, and yeah, we've kind of put ourselves back on the map, uh, which has been awesome. So, uh, but yeah, it's been. I mean, last year was our most wins in in almost ten years. So, uh, you know, it takes time to get to where you want to go, and now we feel really good about where we're at. Yeah, I misspoke earlier. You had twenty one wins, I should point out, in the eleven uh, twelve season, which yeah. was your penultimate year and 26 the year before that it's yeah. just been a while since then and, and and a couple of rough stretches the last couple of years only a handful of wins you're kind yeah. of rebuilding that culture aren't you yep and it takes time and you know covid kind of bumped that around a little bit made it a little hard um but we love the players we have in our program and um 
it's been fun to, you know, see some of it. Like our seniors, we had a great big COVID year. We would have been really good that year. Um, and then we struggled the next year. So for them to stick it out and now you get to hopefully have one of the best years um, and buy into that, it's really fun for me. And I've got six seniors that are able to to do that. So it's rewarding for them. It's rewarding for us as coaches as well. How much has this conference changed from when you were a player? Has it? Has it not? Is it just different faces to the same challenges? I think it's it's always been good. You know, when I played, it was Coe and Simpson, where Simpson dominated for a while, and Coe, we got really good. I think I won either three conference titles or conference tournament titles, you know, in that mix. And then it shifted. Loris and Wartburg have gotten well. We've snuck our way in there. Luther was good for a while. So, uh and we're getting ourselves back in the mix, which is great. So I don't know that it's changed a lot. I think it's always been really good basketball. Um, you know, you see our conference compete at a national level really well. Uh, and so I think that it hasn't changed a ton. It's shuffled a little bit here and there, but um, continue to see uh, some of the, you know, some of the strong, you know, programs be where they're at. What's it like to coach against coaches you used to play against? <laughs> I know. And like recruited me. And uh, <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, a handful of them recruited me. Um, I actually played for Randy Henderson at Co, and she's at Wash U now. So we went down to a tournament there last year, and it, it's kind of funny. Like some of them initially when I started coaching would kind of joke, you know, uh, about eligibility and stuff like that. But it's fun. Uh, you know, it's it's a great league. I think we have good coaches in our league, and they respect that. Um, so, but it is a little unique, uh, you know, not that long ago, they were sitting at my high school games or, or stuff like that. So it is, it's unique that way. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But it also showed time is flying. Flying by. Yeah. Flying yeah, by. Not fair. Coach, appreciate the insight on the team and getting to understand the Cohawks better, especially in what I find is a wild ARC race right now. Yeah. I don't know if Wartburg walks away with it or not, but the rest of you are certainly battling it out. And I look forward to seeing how it all plays out. Good luck in the grind, as it were. And as always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Uh, good luck to everyone the rest of the season. Um, and and go call Hawks. Well said. Yeah. Uh, except no good luck if they're playing you, right? Exactly. If they're not playing yeah. us. So yeah, exactly. Uh, one year, our men are doing really well, too. So we're excited for that. Yeah, no, it's fun for sure in Coland and in the ARC. Thanks again. Take care of yourself. Enjoy the weather. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Gayla Waskow joining us here on the Hoopsaw Hotline. Ah, he said Waskow at the end of that. It's Wasco. It's Wasco. It's Wasco. It's Wasco. It's easy to remember. It's Co. I mean, I think we didn't talk about it, but I think that's the easiest reason why she went to Co and became a Cohawk is because it works with Wasco. Um, we talked a lot about the ARC there, the MIAC. Gustavus Adolphus has a half game lead on Concordia Moorhead, who's just staying with them. Uh, they've got a win over the of uh, on over Cor- uh, over Concordia. I can speak, really, I can. Um, so it's ten and zero. Gustavus Adolphus ten and one. Concordia Moorhead. Gustav- Gusties are still fourteen and one overall. Moorhead is eleven and three. Saint Catherine, those three games back of Moorhead, along with Saint Benedict and Bethel, they're all seven and four in between nine and five and nine and seven overall. Then it's McAllister and Augsburg five and six. This is a two horse race at this point. Saint Cats. Maybe St. Benny um, can pull off an upset, maybe Bethel, but Gustavus and Moorhead are going to walk away with that conference. Wyack race, fun as ever. Whitewater continues to stay on top on the women's side at 16-0 overall, 5-0 in conference action. Oshkosh, 13-1, 4-1. Stevens Point 
was one we considered talking to, but they, not that we won't, but we'll get to him eventually. Matt Hockett's squad, though, has lost three of five to Stout, Whitewater, and River Falls with wins against Lacrosse and Eau Claire sandwiched in between. So they have fallen into a, count this, folks, five-way tie for third. Stevens Point, River Falls, Platteville, Lacrosse, and Eau Claire, all two and three so far in conference action. Stevens Point's 13 and three overall, all three losses in conference play. River Falls is 11 and seven, Platteville 9 and seven, Lacrosse 8 and five, Eau Claire 8 and eight. So right now it looks like it might be the Wash, the Whitewater Oshkosh tour, but let's wait a week or two. That could change. Midwest Conference, Rippon's on top at 8-0. They got a two-game lead on Cornell and a three-game lead on Grinnell. Four-game lead on Knox. Knox is having a 12-4 season. Pretty good, but three losses in conference has got them in a tough spot. We'll see how that plays out. And the UMAC is not uh, a tremendous race other than Superior and Minnesota. Morris are all 4-1. North Central Minnesota is 3-1. Bethany Lutheran is 3-2. Northwestern is 2-2. But no one's got a better than 500 record other than Northwestern, who's nine and six, but sitting in fifth place in the conference. Superior's eight and eight. Minnesota's seven and eight. Minnesota Morris, that is. North Central's seven and seven. Bethany Lutheran, believe it or not, they're three and two in conference play. They are in fourth place. They are three and thirteen overall. Just a quirk, to say the least. So that is your reason nine update. When we come back, we'll jump into region eight. We'll talk to the Heartland Conference foe, Mount St. Joseph. Talk to the head coach about what drew her to that program, how they are battling in the HCAC and having two of their better seasons in a long time, how she's already gotten 27 wins under her belt in two seasons, and more importantly, how Lauren Hill's legacy remains strong in Division Three and at MSJ. You're listening to Hoops Show presented by D3 Hoops. Back after this. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at NABC1927. That's nabc.com or NABC 1927 on social media. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division three school, you primarily a student athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. 
to stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. Welcome back to Hoops Hill, everybody. Let's continue along. Uh, just a heads up, at the end of this segment, we won't take a break. We'll just wrap up the show from there. Um, women's basketball, that's mainly because we're just rolling along here so late. We'll just keep things tight. Uh, women's basketball in Region 8 is an interesting one. You look at the CCIW and Carolyn John, uh, John, I don't know where I'm getting my names here. Carolyn Illinois Wesleyan are tied atop the conference. Both of them are 14 and 3. Both of them are 7 and 1 in conference action. If you were wondering if there's a tiebreaker, well, right now Illinois Wesleyan has it at 65-59 win back on December 2nd. The rematch is coming up. It'll be played on Saturday. That game will be at Carroll. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on that one. Carroll's got an interesting stretch here. They've got Illinois Wesleyan, and then they've got uh, Milliken before Carthage is the third game. And Milliken's important because Milliken is sitting a game back of Carroll and Illinois Wesleyan at 14-3, and three, but 6-2 and two in uh, CCIW play. Those two losses in the conference to Carroll in overtime back in early December. So basically... Carroll lost Illinois Wesley and then beat Milliken. And then they lost to North Central to restart conference action back on the 3rd of January. Their third loss, by the way, in non-conference play, an eight-point loss to Hope back on December 20th. Milliken, in the meantime, just beat Illinois Wesleyan 93-91 on the 17th. And they will play them in a week. Again, back to scheduling. Folks, what is with these... Uh, conference rematches a week apart from one another. It's it's in my listen. We know in the UAA that the turnaround is you play one weekend at two opponents and the exact same uh, opponents play the next weekend. Just a difference of travel that happens in the UAA. But with everybody else, let's space these out. I even wish they would do it in the UAA. In my opinion, we, we shouldn't be having conference rematches a week apart from one another or less than unless there's some weather but i mean original scheduling uh unreal anyway big race atop the cciw we'll keep a track of that big week ahead essentially huge week ahead for carroll illinois wesleyan and millican by the way augustana is sitting a game behind millican and two games behind carroll and illinois wesleyan at five and three ten and seven north central is four and four everyone's like a game away game away game away until you get down to elmhurst and north park but cciw is always a fun race in the slyak by the way webster is undefeated at 15 and 0 8 no in conference action two game lead on principia and two and a half game lead on greenville and a th- three and a half game lead on westminster four game lead on spalding that's West, that's Webster's to lose at this point. And the NACC, Northern, Athle- uh, Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference, <laughs> this race is insane. Edgewood is 8-8 eight eight overall, and they are on top of the conference at 7-0. Game back is Wisconsin Lutheran, who's 11-4, but they're 6-1 in conference play. MSOE and Benedictine are both 5-2 in conference play. However, are you ready for this? MSOE is 11-5 overall, 5-2 in conference action. Benedictine is 5-11. The opposite record. 
And they're five and two in conference play. Aurora and St. Norbert are both five and three. Aurora's twelve and five. St. Norbert's eight and nine. Yeah, the NACC women's race is just wonky to look at, to say the least. Uh, Edgewood on top right now on Wisconsin Lutheran. That'll be a fun one to watch come to the close. And then go to the HCAC, which is the purpose of our next segment. Transylvania, the defending national champs, number two in all the land, 16-0, 9-0 in conference play. They've only got a one-game lead on Hanover, who's 8-1 and 10-6 and overall. Of course, they beat Hanover 54-39 just uh, a little over a week ago, did Transylvania. Then Mount St. Joseph is two games back of Transylvania at 7-2, and 13-3 and overall. They have won 27 games in the last season and a half compared to the previous three seasons combined. Didn't even get to 21 wins. And the last time they got to double digits victory, the only time in recent history, they were 14-12 and 12 in the 2018-19 campaign. Otherwise, nine is the most that they've won. So two 14-win seasons. The rest are usually below 500, but things have certainly changed for the Lions, and a lot of it has to do with their head coach in her second year. It's uh, Mainzie Elston, who's chatted with me earlier on a number of topics, including the fact that this is the first time we've talked about the Lions since Lauren Hill and her amazing story nine years ago. Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of the Mount St. Joseph basketball program. It's Mainzie Elston. Coach, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. This is a program that feels a bit on the up. Uh, 14 wins last year, already 13 wins this year. We'll t- dive into that in a bit more, but thanks for taking the time, and, and congratulations on what seems like a, a really successful run right now. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. it it's good to be on. I, I, we'll dive into the losses. We'll dive into the last, you know, last game and, and conference and all that, but um, – just to be fair with everybody out there, this is our second go at recording this because our system crashed. So we were in a fascinating conversation I want to dive back into, and that is how you found Mount St. Joseph. You you obviously had some coaching experience prior in the conference at, at Earlham, but you're a Division One student-athlete. You came from London, England. What was it about Mount St. Joseph, either personally or career-wise or the institution, whatever it was, that's driven you to this point? Because the success certainly shows it may may have been a pretty darn good decision. Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest pull, obviously, for me was my prior experience in the conference as an assistant. And then I had a short spin as the interim uh, head coach there. And, and, and I got to you know, see what, what type of student-athletes can get pulled there. Um, obviously Cincinnati is a beautiful city and, and we're right, you know, 10 minutes outside of uh, downtown Cincinnati. So as a recruiter, um, and recruiting to an institution like Ireland, which is tough, like the city was a big pull for me. Um, spoke to some people, had heard really good things about the school. Um, and then as soon as I took the interview and came on campus, I had immediate connection with the athletic director. Um, she's a woman, Melanie, um, big basketball background. So, so that was good. And and I felt like I had the support and, and what I would need to to be successful here at Mount. So it was it was a great choice for me. I think it's a great fit for me and them. So it's been a lot of fun. Again, touch on the fact you're from the London, England area. You went to a Division One school in Houston Christian, but you seem to be into the small school aspect of things, the Earlums and then NAI school prior to that at East uh, Indiana University East is what I'm trying to stumble through. And now back in Mount St. Joseph, what is it about the small school having experienced the big school that is so attractive to you? 
Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of things, really. Honestly, um, I've been trying to get into being a head coach here for a few years. And, you know, um, the route of that is either usually trying to, you know, go Dobo or assistant at a Division One school and you've got to be there for some years to kind of take that step. So I knew I wanted to be a head coach. And, and as soon as I got out of college, I got a really good opportunity as an assistant at Division Three school. We done really well quickly there. Um, and then, you know, Earlham, kind of same thing. It, it was a rebuild. Both of them were rebuilds. And, we, and even though, you know, only winning, you know, up to like 10, 8 to 10 wins there, it, it was a lot on what they had done in the past. And, and then I worked under my biggest mentor for a year at my first experience outside of coaching Division Three at IU East. And uh, that was a great experience for me to see, you know, just the different caliber and the level of athlete that you can get there. Obviously, financially, it's a lot different package-wise for the student. Um, and then linking that with, you know, Mount St. Joe is a place that you can tap into those NAIA-level kids that is an affordable school. Um, it's in a big city. We get a lot of kids that go higher level and, and it doesn't work out. They don't play as much as they thought they should or could. They want to come back home and then they fall in our lap. Um, so And that's really been helpful for us for our quick success is, is transfers has been a big part of that. That was the other thing is the attraction to Mount St. Joseph. In all fairness, it's not a program that has been at the top of the conference in conversation or, or even in the middle of the nation in terms of a conversation. I know from many a conversation over the years that it's it's considered a difficult place to recruit to. So how are you finding that success and what has been the change of that conversation? Yeah, I mean, it helps right away when, when you win some games, right? And, and last year, I know we only won 14, I, I think it was, but it was a huge jump to what they had done in the past. And, and finishing third in the conference, you know, my first year taking over from finishing, you know, ninth, eighth in the past, that helps, right? Success helps. And then you could sell that. And I think that was a big part of it. I had a lot of connections in the Indiana area. Um, my recruiting class that came in, so my freshman from this year, um, a high percentage of them were Indiana kids. Um, and that that was a difference too. I felt like um, getting outside of just the local small Cincinnati schools that Mount had kind of stuck with in the past. That really helped us. Um, and then we had some transfers that really helped us and, and kind of like I touched on in that last part. I mean, coming from Earlham, um, I would argue one of the hardest places in in Division Three to recruit to, just the niche of the school, the price of the school, the lack of success in athletics. Um, and I was able to to get kids there. I mean, we had a really good recruiting class with kids that are still there at Elon right now. Um with Jay Bright, um, she's a really good player, and um, you know Alexis Gibson, really good player, and and um, I think that carrying that amount where I just think we were able to springboard into continued success. Now, if you would have told me we would be, you know, thirteen and three going to the second round of conference here, I would probably would have been like, okay, let's not push it. But I mean, the way that we're playing, the talent that we have, we're extremely athletic. Um, and I'll be honest, like you said, I'm from a Division One background playing, um, played Great Britain basketball. We run it at Mount like it is a, a big-time program at a smaller level. Um, we expect a lot of our kids. And and when I recruit, I tell them that. So when I took over the program, I had 26 players. Um, and then I finished last year with 14. Um, it's not all it's cut out to be. Um, if you want to work hard and you want to be successful, this is the place for you. Um, it's not. It's not just a a kind of 
we play for fun here anymore. Coach, that's kind of, I think, the most interesting part of this is changing the mentality maybe on the campus and in the athletic department. You talk about having 26 and finishing with 14. This may not be where it is. No disrespect to the school, but I've always felt like Mount St. Joseph, like a lot of Division three schools, about participation and numbers and, listen, winning and losing isn't the be-all, end-all. At least you have a positive experience. So there's a little bit of a, of a changing of the mentality there, is there not? Yeah, 100%. And I'll, I'll be real honest. We're really lucky here that, you know, my administration doesn't ask me to hold 30 players and, and do a JV program and this and that. We we have the mentality from the athletic director, like your job is to win as much as it is to give, you know, a good experience to student athletes and, and you know, build them as people. And, and we do all of those things. Um, but we are definitely past the stage of, you know, you play basketball in high school, you want to stay close to home, come play at the Mount. Um, and, and you'll see that not just with with my program, but I mean, uh, you know, our volleyball team uh, were, they went to the national tournament last year. Our football team won conference and went to the national tournament. Um, our softball team has been to the national tournament many a times. And, and I think that it's women's basketball. I think that that's what raised us. Um, that's why you know, there was a shift in, in my position and and they brought me in was because, you know, all the women's sports on campus are really succeeding and doing well. So why is women's basketball not? Um, and I mean, did I think it would happen as quickly as it has? No. But I do think that that was the biggest goal of making that switch. And that's what the expectation was. And I and I sold them on I can do that. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, they let me do my job. I have full support. Uh, we get good attendance to the games and and now it's kind of the expectation that you know we're up there at the top of the conference and we're competing and and we're fun to watch the style that we play so that helps uh yeah 27 wins in essentially a season and a half a eh, season and two-thirds we're pushing on that's a huge impact right away to say the least of a program that 27 wins total prior to that would have taken more than three years because the previous three seasons were seven wins each um, you'd go back to the 2018-19 season, certainly pretty good at 14. So they they put their toe in the water on this. They just haven't been able to cross the line. It looks like it's gotten there. Let's talk about this team in terms of, of who these individuals are. You talk of, Obviously, the impact of you being there is there because most of this is sophomores and freshmen. You've got counting graduate students, three seniors, and then three juniors, and then the rest. We'll dive into, into the numbers and who those representatives are in terms of the stat sheet. But obviously, this is your team. It's got your fingerprint on it in terms of underclassmen. But as a result of that, there's a bit of a steep learning curve, is there not? Yeah, no, there there is, and I think you know, yeah, we do have like we we do have um, you know a couple of seniors that are still with us, and and we have um, a fifth year senior that um, if you do look at her stats, I mean before I got here, she was a kid that was taking 75% of their shots and, and scoring, you know, in the mid, like 20, mid twenties a game. And, and I came in here and she is a phenomenal basketball player, but her role significantly shift for us. And, and she's now a glue kid, our defensive stopper. And she's averaging between, you know, eight to 10 points and, and eight to 10 rebounds a game. And, and she's someone that will definitely miss moving into next year as she, as she took her COVID year and stayed with me. Uh, but outside of that, you're right. It's a lot of younger kids that that I brought in and it's a lot of transfers that come in and, and fitted really well into the system that, that we run. So that's been really helpful for us. 
Well, and the double figures in terms of the points are sophomores and freshmen. And Morgan Jenkins, Carly Mills, and Whitney Warfel, 13.1, 12.3, and 10.4, respectively. Jenkins contributing six and a half, or just over six rebounds per game on top of that, and handing out the most assists on this Mm -hmm. team. Um, You talk about the upperclassman, Chloe Jansen's the one that jumps out. She's the one who's got 7.3 points a game. Certainly a difference in what she's contributed before. That's a little bit of an ego check. You, you got to check your ego at the door, understanding the betterment of this program and the legacy you're going to leave behind is the Jenkins and the Mills and the Warfels and these others who are ready to get the job done now. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, I will say Chloe is probably the biggest competitor that I have ever coached. Um, and she, I mean, you're right. It was a big ego check. It was a conversation of, hey, you're not going to take 20 shots a game anymore and we're not going to sit in a 2-3 zone and and walk the ball up the floor we're going to get up and down and we're gonna you went from being the point guard to now being our foreman um and you know she embraced it and I think that having those players that are as skilled as as Morgan Jenkins and and Carly Mills and and obviously we had another transfer who who's not showing up as much on the stat sheet this year what was a big impact for us last year in Madison Drummonds and and I think that Chloe embraced that role better than anyone because you could have. You could have been like, you know what? You didn't recruit me. This has kind of been my program and you're going to come in here and tell me. But, you know, she had the choice to graduate and she didn't and she stayed for a fifth year. And and she is she is a different sort of kid. Um, I mean, I would love to find another one of her. Am I going to? I'm not sure. Um, she's probably one in a million, but she just scored her a thousand point a couple of weeks ago. So that was a great milestone for her. Um, and she'll be very missed, but she definitely bought into me um, and what we wanted to do. And, and she's thriving. So we'll talk more about the betterment of the program and, and those who have certainly made the program um, or impacted the program in a bit. But I want to go back to the season that is so far in the grind that is. We're coming off of a loss to Transylvania. I, this might sound a little odd, but that was a closer result than I anticipated. 58-45 against the defending national champs who admittedly have kind of blitzed this conference for a handful of years now. You get you take them, that's a pretty good result, especially at home. The bad news is you're going to have to travel on the road here in a couple of weeks down to their place. Prior to that, your two losses, uh, conference play against Hanover, non-conference play against Denison, both games within 10 points. We can dive in. Listen, a win over LaRoche, pretty solid. A win over Capital, pretty solid. Uh, yeah, a couple of tough conference losses, but... This team isn't what we're used to in a Lions team that's going to maybe fight every once in a while and roll over. This is a team that has certainly given notice, even maybe to Transylvania, that this is not easy anymore. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I agree with you. I think that, you know, anytime you've got your plan against, against someone that is as elite as, you know, Transy and Julie, I mean, she does a phenomenal job. Um, the biggest thing about my team is, is that, you know, we we really truly believe that we can win whoever we're playing, um, and and that's a big that's a big ask for a team that's not used to winning. Uh, we don't have that that real fear at all, which is always which is always nice. So I, I believed, and and they believed, and I think a lot of people believe that you know we could get Transy, um, and I thought we put up a really good performance. They stuck to the game plan, what we wanted to do. We just didn't hit shots. Uh, and, you know, Trans is a team where they they give you certain things and, and they basically, you know, bait you into trying to make a, 
an extra pass, which might be a better shot, but it's not. That what they give you is the best shot you're going to get, and you got to hit it. And if you hit it, you got a chance. And if you don't, you don't. Um, but I thought defensively, we've done a phenomenal job. We forced them into 24 turnovers, which might be the most they've ever turned the ball over. Um, we struggled rebounding. Now, we did a great job boxing out, but they did a great job of keeping the ball alive and then pursuing it. Um, they scored a lot at the foul line. Um, and, th- and then we just struggled in that third quarter to score. Uh, you know, we went into half time winning, which is the first time this year they've gone in. Uh, Transy's gone into the halftime down. Um, and then they went on that stretch. And then we had a couple of lapses defensively, lo- losing some shooters. And, and and they picked up their intensity and switched some stuff for the back of their zone. And and we struggled to score. Um, but we didn't give up, right? We didn't give up. We, we cut it back down and we ended up losing by 13. But I was impressed with our performance. Now we turn around and play them again on Wednesday. Um, and it, it's a really hard place to play, as I'm sure you know. Um, so I think the best shot that we did have at them was at home. But same thing, same game plan. We're doing the same thing. Now you got to hit the shots, right? So that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. Uh, but yeah, I thought we did, we did play really well. You're also in this funky kind of schedule where you're alternating home and away games. Usually we see things kind of come in pairs and triplicate or whatever, but you're literally going travel, uh, home travel, home travel. So back to the Anderson game, which was the end of a two-game stretch. It's uh, away, home, away, home, away, home, away, home. Uh, you will finish, interesting enough, with three of the final four games at home, but you have this little kind of back and forth thing. Is that is that okay because you get into a routine? All right, we played at home, now we'll play on the road. Or does it get a little funky because there is no sense of being at home for a little while? There's no sense of being on the road for a little while. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. We, we haven't lost on the road yet, touch wood, as we go to Manchester this weekend, which is which is a, a, a tough place to play at too. But, you know, I'll be real honest, I... I I kind of think we do play better on the road. Um, my my team is the type of team that they don't like to get there two hours early and sit and think about it. Like they get in, we usually get there, you know, an hour and 15 early. They get dressed, they get on the court with 50 minutes and they warm up and we get to it. And you'll see as a coach, I don't call a bunch of timeouts. Like sometimes I finish the game and I've not used one. Like we, we have the athleticism, we have the depth that is different to a lot of programs that we face that – we, we can get kids in and out and everyone's good at different things. And we don't take a huge dive when we, when we sub, uh, which is nice. So we like to, we like to get it going. We like to play. Um, and so we have played really well on the road. So I don't think too much about it. Um, we've played like we've played at Rose and won there, which is a really hard get for us. We don't have to go back there, which is nice. We won at Franklin, which is a hard get. Um, you know, we we go to Manchester this weekend. We won at Bluffton, which is a hard place to win at. So we've got some of the tougher ones out the way, which is good. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can hold it strong going into the second matchup with everybody. Yeah, you'll play Defiance Rose Holman Bluffton as part of those three to finish up the season at home. And then your final game will be Hanover on the road. So, yeah, good stretch coming up and maybe, you know, double down on the road wins. As you pointed out, Transylvania coming up in three games time. But Manchester first. And then Anderson, kind of more the well, middle, the bottom of the conference before ratcheting back up to Transylvania. Um, has Transylvania's national championship served notice to the rest of the conference? A couple of things. First, it's doable. You, you don't have to be in a quote-unquote power conference. And second, if we want to compete there, much like you have done with your program, we got to change the culture and the mentality here which includes scheduling and includes all these other things to improve us 
because that is now the bar. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that, and that is the bar for us. I mean, it, it really is. And, 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 you know, like we, we didn't have an, an easy pre-conference schedule. Like you, like you said, we played a bunch of AC schools and CAC, um, we, we took a plane down to Houston and played some Southern ball, which is different uh, than up here in the Midwest. Um, you know, so I, I think that right away, you know, and, and we scrimmaged Wittenberg, which they're, you know, top 25 talker right now. So like we right away from the jump, um, I kind of threw it at my kids and I was like, this, this is, if we compete with these teams, um, we, we can compete with the top of our conference, right? Cause that's your Hanover's, your transies. Um, and then we did. Um, and like we said, we came out of, we, we dropped our last non-conference game at home to Denison, which was tough. Um, I think it was, we, we had one of our starters out and they're really big. Um, and we're not huge. Um, and they did a good job of the coach did a really good job of isolating, you know, Mills, my point guard's five, two on a good day. You know, they backed her down. They got her into situations. I made the decision to take her out and try and, you know, we just, we didn't match up with them great. And we dropped that one, which was tough. But other than that, we would have, we would have swept out an on-conference schedule. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is, I mean, you, you know, every, every coach wants people to look at a record and, and see, okay, you're 20 and whatever, but who did you play? You know, did you play teams that, you know, are, are I don't, I don't want to say disrespectfully, but like teams that you should just go in and, and be, you know? No, that makes sense. There, the, you you need to have a, a goal that these teams are the ones we're supposed to be beating, if we're supposed to be in a certain place. It's it certainly understand the respect comment, but yeah, no, that's a thing. Um, I want to pivot a little bit, if you don't mind. Mount St. Joseph obviously made a lot of headlines a number of years ago with the famed Lauren Hill, whose story captured international attention. the The uh, Lauren Hill Classic still exists. I love that it's both a men's and women's event. Um, it raises funds for all the right things, and it, and and it keeps Lauren's legacy, which by the way is even here. That's an Ohio Wesleyan jersey that's signed by Lauren that we made sure to to get in on the bid on. Um, it kept it, it keeps that legacy alive. I'm curious your perspective because if I have this right, I think her story took place your senior year, 2014-15 at Houston Christian where everybody got involved, but you're now entering that institution where that is a strong part of not only the women's basketball program, but the entire institution, even if we are coming up on 10 years on from that event, what, what is, what is it like from an outsider's perspective to enter that and take up that legacy and be in charge to some degree of continuing it? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I had to do a lot of educating of myself on, you know, um, Lauren Hill and 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 meeting her parents and and you know creating those relationships because you know the the old coach the coach before me was was here during that era. So um, it was definitely something that you know I think was a big part of of what I had to tackle coming and taking the job. Now, uh, none of the players um, at the time were were old enough to had played with Lauren or been a part of that program. Um, however, I think when I came in, I, I did a big revamp in terms of, you know, I made the relationship with with Lauren's parents and Lauren's father still attends a lot of our home games, um, comes to the locker room afterwards, congratulates like, congratulates our kids. Um, when he's not here, he he reaches out via email. Um, he's, a, he's a great guy and her mom was in attendance at, um, at our Lauren Hill Classic and comes every year. 
Um, and then they have a couple of, you know, AAU recruiting events that I I don't necessarily uh, recruit players from, but we go and, and I went last year and showed face and, and, you know, listened to the talk by her parents. So it's definitely something that I've been very cognizant of, of keeping alive and refreshing. But when I came in, um, you know, we, we did some revamping at the locker room, you know, um, I, I framed her jersey and she has a section of the locker room now rather than it, you know, when I first got here, her locker was still how it was when, when she had, was you know had unfortunately died um so so there was a lot of revamping um we we retired a jersey so no one wears a number but it's it's still a big part of who we are as a program um or there's a decor in my office um a lot of recruits still talk about it and know Mount St. Joe as that so they'll go in the locker room and they'll all take a picture with the jersey um which is really neat um and like like I said uh both of her parents, but particularly her father, is still very involved with our program, one of our biggest supporters, um, which which is really nice for us because it could have gone either way with a new coach coming in, um, bringing her own players, doing her own thing. Um, so we definitely wanted to keep it alive. That's great to hear. I appreciate that because you, you just it's hard from the outside, especially as time goes on, to understand how that legacy stays alive. One that, again, captured everyone's attention and and certainly our attention in Division Three. So I appreciate that insight. Coach, taking plenty of your time. I, I, I Fascinating to hear your perspective on the Lions, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to see how well they are doing this season and past season and under your tutelage. Look forward to seeing where it continues to climb the rest of the way. I don't know. Maybe I'll tune in on the 27th to see if we can see a nice little upset there against uh, yeah. the number two team in the country. But in the meantime, we have a tradition on this show. We always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in that maybe we didn't even touch on? Uh, no, first of all, I want to say thank you again. I really appreciate you reaching out. It's great to do those kind of things, especially, you know, at Mount St. Joe, where we've not had a, as much publicity in the past. So it's great. Um, I really appreciate what you do for Division Three. I think that, you know, Division Three is on the climb with, you know, the, the latest stuff that we got with ESPN and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, with the transfer portal the way it is, we're getting some of these big kids now come into these Division three schools. And I just think the pub- publicity that you, you're helping to build for this is great. So I, I think keep doing what you're doing, and we really appreciate it. Well, that's kind of you. Thanks so much. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. We'll obviously keep an eye on you, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you down the road sometime. All right. I appreciate it. Maisie Elston joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Great conversation with Maisie Elston. Sorry, I didn't get to my mute button there in time. Um, that's why I do the show. Some folks don't quite understand it sometimes. And listen, we don't always talk to the easy guests to pick. Like, yeah, it's easy to go find the top team in all the land and talk to them. It's great, you know, and only talk to top 25 teams. No, I look around. I try and find guests from different conferences and get different vantage points that we haven't talked to in a while. She's doing an amazing job there at MSJ, clearly. 27 wins in a year, in a season and a half, folks. I, I get that maybe that conference isn't the beast. It isn't a beast. It isn't the toughest ever. They've got some significant wins. Let's let's not let's not uh, paint that in any other direction. Yeah, Transylvania's tough. But clearly Mount St. Joseph has turned the corner in all their athletics. And she's joining alongside. She picked that program because she wanted a head coaching job. She understood the challenges. And she's doing an amazing job and, and talked about the Lauren Hill legacy. Um, I, I just found that conversation. I found all of our conversations tonight to just be fascinating ones. 
um, and you get to go in depth with these individuals and learn about them. We're going to try and have more student athletes on the show. We usually make an effort every week to do that. It doesn't always work out. But we'll certainly try and, and get more student athletes on the show because their points of, of view, too, are fascinating and, and worthy of, of the spotlight as well. But it's also great to get coaches, including ones we've never talked to before, on the show. And I really appreciate Maisie Elston coming on to give us her perspective. Um, and, and I might be a, a little bit uh, smitten with a, the London accent. Got to love it. Again, lost to Hanover and Denison in Transylvania this season, but they've got wins um, over LaRoche and Capital, for example, back in, in November that were certainly significant ones. They're on the road against Manchester, and then they're home against Anderson, then on the road against Transylvania. Again, Transylvania playing them twice in 10 days. People, what is with conference scheduling of the of late? I I don't I don't understand it. Um, then Franklin uh, at home on the 31st, they'll round out the month. Earlham is their penultimate road game. They'll be played on the 3rd of February. Then they're home against Defiance, Rose Holman, and Bluffton on the 7th, 10th, and 13th before finishing up on the road against Hanover on the 16th. Fun to talk to her. I really appreciate her taking the time to do it. and uh, great, to, great to get her perspective. We're going to wrap the show from here. Not going to take another break. Um, no, we did not get the top 25 guys on the show today. Uh, they're all busy, but also um, sometimes you just got to take a break and reset things. Uh, we will have a surprise guest in that segment coming up on February 1st, by the way. Uh, in the meantime, Monday show coming up, we will talk to, let's see, we talked to Region um, 8, 9, 7, and 3 this week. We skipped Region 5 only because I had talked to so many guests in the Maryland area in the last few weeks. I figured we'd better just take a break. So next week, we will talk men's basketball by the way, men's basketball region five next week. We already got it preset. So next Monday, we will talk to regions one and two in either a combo or separated, not really sure. Region four, region six, region 10. That's kind of where we're looking at for Monday. We'll start working on that show. That'll be a seven o'clock Eastern show, by the way. Uh, again, for the majority of the next or for the rest of the season, the majority of our Thursday shows will be one o'clock shows starting next week uh, due to schedule conflicts of my own. Uh, the exception that will be February 15th. We will be on the air at um, seven o'clock. That will be the top 16 show, which we're already starting to work on. Going back to the Case Western Reserve and talking about the D3Hoops.com Classic, one of the things that happened during that event, we reached out to all the institutions involved in or playing in, in the Hoopsville class, D3 Hoops Classic, apologies. And we asked all of them if they were interested in advertising during our broadcast. They could advertise just on in the games that they were being played. They could advertise on all the broadcasts that we had. Four schools took us up on that. We almost got six. One of them took us up on it. Rhodes, hats off to you. Thank you so very much. They took on the advertising for the entire event. So if you tuned in, you most likely saw a Rhodes advertisement. Case Western Reserve, Oswego, and Husson all uh, advertised during their games. I hope they found it successful. We appreciated it for a nominal cost. The reason I bring this up, if you are an institution and or conference who would like to advertise on this show for the rest of the season, especially the hopeful marathon show that we are tentatively putting together and the top 16 show, potentially, that one's a little bit different, but if and if you're not a school or a conference, if you are a business or some entity who wants to advertise, that's a great show to dive in on. Contact me. 
Love to hear from you. We will talk um, brass tacks and get you on the show into the advertising slots that we have throughout. Um, uniforms. A couple of things are going to happen in the near future. We are going to finally set up a camera from a different angle so you can see um, the background from a different perspective. Mainly, I'm going to try and get creative and change the angles for interviews. <laughs> anyway, if you have a jersey or want to send something to be put into the backdrop of the Hoopsville studio, please send it along. Contact me. I'll get you my address so that you can do just that, and we'll get some more uniforms. We're going to start trying to change these out. I have a few uniforms at the um, the the support system just fell apart and I didn't put it back together. I got to put it back together. We're going to start rotating the uniforms so you can see more of them. There are more to be seen. And there's also an empty desk that you saw a quick shot of. We're going to have to clean that up. So anyway, lots coming up on the Hoopsville. Monday shows are going to be at 7 o'clock. Thursday shows are going to be at 1 o'clock for the most part. Stay with us on social media. Um, of course, X slash Twitter, Instagram and threads, along with YouTube. It's all D3 Hoopsville. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Hoopsville, just Hoopsville. We live simulcast on both entities, and it looked like we had quite a few people who enjoyed the show. We appreciate you taking the time. I'm going to take a quick look at men's and women's scores from around Division Three tonight. Now, we didn't have a ton of games tonight. We don't normally. Clark got a win over Springfield 75, uh, 73-65. I'm telling you right now, Clark men's basketball is going to win this conference. Uh, they are got a game lead on WPI. Both teams are 14-3. and three. They... I uh, have a four-game lead on Coast Guard, Salve Regina, and Babson, who are each four and four in conference play. Um, Clark is a darn good basketball team. They continue to show that. Uh, Colby Sawyer at New England College are in overtime. And it looks like Colby Sawyer is probably going to win that, but it's not done yet. Mitchell beat, beat Wesleyan. There's a surprise. Mitchell 95-79 over Wesleyan. Mitchell's now 5-11 and on the season, 2-3. and They've won two in a row. Wesleyan, in the meantime, has lost two in a row and four out of six. I thought after winning four in a row and starting the season eight and two, that Wesleyan might be one to watch, but they have lost four of their last six and seem to be on the struggle bus just a little bit, those Cardinals. Um, So that's a bit of a surprise that Mitchell got the win there. Wells got a win over Hilbert. Interesting. WPI just got past Wheaton Mass. Babson just survived against Coast Guard. Albertus Magnus got past Connecticut College. Emerson over Salve Regina. Notre Dame of Maryland beat Cairn. Um, I know Yeshiva and Immaculata are playing tonight. We noticed that earlier. Uh, Harden Simmons and East Texas Baptist are playing. That's an interesting game. Otherwise, nothing shocking. On the women's side, just one top 25 team in play. Harden Simmons got the easy win over East Texas Baptist, 80-59. to ETBU is 6-11 this season. Um, Blake uh, Arbogast, the Howard Payne graduate in his first season there, is struggling with a program that is reeling from the um, from the last few seasons, it would appear. You know, 19-7 last year, uh, Blake uh, Arbogast was certainly in control there. I said first season. That's complete. I don't believe that's accurate, right? Am I am I mistaken? I don't think that's accurate. Um, I don't remember when he started there. Double checking as we speak. Um, his first season as head coach, twenty twenty one. Yeah, he's been there a few years. So they're having some troubles at ETBU this year in women's basketball. Anyway, Harden Simmons got the win, eighty to fifty nine. Wells women's basketball is struggling. 
0-13. By the way, a couple more programs in women's basketball shut down for the season, too. That's another story that's kind of simmering under the surface this season. Um, not a, don't see any other scores that jump out of me. Merchant Marine beat Farmingdale State in conference play, but Mount St. Mary is leading that conference and kind of walking away with it right now. they got a three-game lead on Manhattanville. Um I have to check that, though. St. Joseph's Long Island looks like they're having a good season, too. Anyway, not a lot of scores around Division Three that worth talking about, so wrap it up. Again, a reminder, if the news is official, John Carroll is moving to the NCAC, as we reported a few weeks ago. They will be joining that conference for the 25-26 academic year. So there you go. That's a wrap on this show. Great conversations tonight. I hope you enjoyed them. Sorry for the glitch we had with Todd McGinnis to get things started. We've got that segment on the air, but thanks to Todd McGinnis and Case Western Reserve and uh, Stefan Thompson at Hobart, along with, uh, <laughs> I'll get it right, uh, Wasco, 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 Coach Wasco at Co. I have to think it through. <laughs> and then, of course, um, uh, Mount St. Joseph and their head coach, um, Madeline uh, Elston. Real appreciate her time. It's not Madeline. I, mi- I misspoke there, um, to say the least. Um, Mount St. Joseph's head coach is uh, Maisie Elston. Of course, uh, also thanks to Kayla Waskow. Co. Wasco. Jeez, I'll get it right someday. I really appreciate Sorry about that, Coach. I'm, it's now in my head where I'm just doing flips and flops as to what it's supposed to sound like. Uh, again, we'll be on the air Monday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. I'll have to fight off uh, changes in my kids' schedules, but we'll get that put together nonetheless. And I appreciate you all tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you to the sports information directors and staff at Case Western Reserve Hope Co. and Mount St. Joseph for their assistance as well tonight with the show and everybody who helps us out with the program. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to another one, and it's going to be another great weekend of basketball. So tune in. Whether you can go to a game and check it out or maybe a several games, whether you can watch some games online, whatever the case may be, please check it out and have some fun and enjoy it. We're getting closer and closer to regional rankings, so we're going to start pivoting the conversations a little bit in that sense when we get some more information uh, as to where teams line up and how things are shaking out and all of that. So that's coming just a matter of time as to uh, when we kind of pivot, as it were, to that conversation. And with that, we'll give it a wrap. You've been watching Hoops Hole presented by D3 Hoops from the Hoops Hole Studios. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Because remember, if you talk Division Three basketball, you've got to listen to Hoops Hole. Thanks for taking the time, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you missed it, you can always watch it on demand. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast in the meantime. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy on a great weekend of basketball in Division Three.